Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to our third episode of Six on Six. In keeping with our last episode, we've got a special guest joining us today, and it's none other than the Sonics' own Easily. Now, he's not just with the Sonics. He's been with quite a large run of teams over the years as he's been competing for almost half a decade at this point. How are you feeling today, Kev? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, like Parker said, I've been competing since Year One Season 3. That was my first season of Pro League. Uh, I originally started back on Xbox, back when Xbox had the Pro League. I was on a team called Onslaught in Year One Season 3, and we actually made it to the LAN Finals there in Poland. And then following that season, we went to the first Invitational. I, that was under a new team, though, Lethal Gaming. So we won the qualifier for that, went to the Invitational, placed top four. And then after that, obviously, Xbox got canceled. Switched over to PC. Elevate, who were some of my friends from Xbox, actually qualified and wanted to make a roster change. And then they asked me if I wanted to join. So actually, I kind of had like a free ride, I guess, into the PC Pro League. So I was kind of like, you know, I got on PC. Three weeks later, I was playing a Pro League match. It was actually against Troy, funny enough. So that's how I got my first start on PC. And then pretty much every season after that, I've been on PC. After that one season on Elevate, I actually got dropped. Then I went on to a team called Infamy which was me, Vandal, Beastly, Nep, and, oh, sorry, at that time, it was actually me, Vandal, Beastly, Bio, and Two Nifty. And then after that season, we actually made two roster changes, brought on Vert and um, Nep. And then after we brought on Vert and Nep, made land with that team, went to Brazil, lost, unfortunately. And then after that, joined Rogue, and I was on Rogue all the way up until about November of last year. Well, that's um, that's honestly, it's not as much really when you think about it, because as I said, you, you've been around since before the first Invitational, you know, and, and how many times do people change hands in esports? How many times do you even just teams change their team names in esports over the course of, you know, four-ish years? And on all of those rosters, you've played different roles. You've been very flexible. You know, I, I was somebody who came out and, and gave you the title of one of the most flexible players in Pro League a couple seasons back. And the I guess the first question for me is, is going to be right now with the Sonics. You've seen so much of this game. So let's start where you are today. You picked up Iconic on this squad. You're going into the U.S. division. We just did the draw. What are your very early preliminary thoughts on this team now that you're all you've had some time to gel and where the season of Pro League is going to or well, rather professional play is going to take you? All right. So when I first joined this team, it was kind of interesting to me because I've really never played with anyone across region before. Right. Because I think everyone kind of understands each region kind of has their own style of play. And bringing into like a playstyle that has Gonfi and Slebin, that had Gonfi and Slebin in it, they're two like insanely mechanically skilled players. But the the way they play the game was kind of like you know like peak everything TDM kind of sort. And I feel like me and Seth really like were able to like kind of like nod to their heads and like this also on like their willingness to actually learn and listen that they and that they kind of like adapted their playstyle and then transferred that insane mechanical skill to like a more organized and structured playstyle. So I think. Those two players like really has have really grown a lot, especially since I joined. I don't know how it really was before because Seth like you know didn't really have another voice on the team, kind of like help out with like IGLing and things like that. So I think Gonfi and Slebin have really come a long way since I've joined. And then also once Nip kind of stepped down, we tried picking up Sweater. I'm not going to talk about it too long. Just Sweater kind of didn't really fit the role that we needed because we were trying to replace Nip with a, a player who plays roles like Slebin, right? So that would kind of be like two 
people playing the same kind of roles, like just like a straight entry fragger kind of role. So we decided to go with Iconic mainly because one, when you're picking up a young gun, I think it's pretty important. Like Sweater didn't have a lot of experience. Sweater didn't scrim a lot. He didn't. He only really played ranked, whatever. So when he was coming into like playing pro teams, it was kind of like a whole different game to him, right? Like, pro, like I always say this, comp and pro league are like two different games pretty much, right? So the decision to go at Iconic was mainly just because he's been scrimming like on underage leagues and underage teams for like two, three years now. He scr- there's team scrimmed every day. We were like, this guy, you know, he's gr- he's a grinder. Like we, he has a good work ethic, great attitude. He's always asking questions, always trying to get better. So that's the main reason we went with Iconic. And I think so far, like I have no regrets with that decision. Yeah, I think that's a big reason like you should pick up or a big thing you should look at when you pick up like a young player. Like obviously my only experience picking up like a young or new player, I wasn't even picking him up. It was me joining SSG and they had folds. Yeah. And obviously like I think I probably have one of the best experiences with a newer mm-hmm. player, but like 100% and I said this on the last episode and I keep saying it like that's the reason he's as good as he is is because like he grinds all the time, and then mm-hmm. also just because how much he wants to learn mm-hmm. and like oh, is yeah. trying to get better. Because like the one thing I will say about Fultz, right, is like you look at you look at Fultz before before SSG, and it's not like he was only playing ranked, right? He was playing CL, he was playing CCS, whatever whatever leagues were out there, he was always playing them, right? Like say when he was on an OC with Merck, like those guys. I'll use Merck as another example. Those guys were playing pretty much every opportunity they had to get competitive experience and just to grow as players. And I feel like that's the main thing that any underager right now like can take from. Like when you talk about grinding, I'm, when I talk about grinding, I'm not talking about you picking Vigil and rank to hide under a desk and hope I don't drone you. I'm talking about you getting on and like scrimming with your team and like learning how to play tra- trades, learning how to play the utility game. Because when it comes to like pro league, you hiding under a desk isn't going to do you any favors. Like a good team's going to drone you. Like Everyone jokes about SSG drones. Like th- those guys know you're under that desk. Like you're a fr- you're a freebie in their eyes. You have to learn how to play the game at a high level if you ever want to make it anywhere. Hundred percent. And I I know that's something Fultz can attest to. Is like I remember he like him and I have joked about this. And I mean I hope he doesn't care that I say this on the podcast. But we've joked about it just like talking on the side. And like when when I they were first gonna try to pick me up, we weren't sure if I'd be able to join the team. And he actually, like, I think at the time, like, he, there was another option that he was favoring more just because he didn't, like, he honestly, like, he had played against me, and he's like, hey, he's not that good, right? And then yeah. I think he played with me after, and then he literally realized, like, there's another side of Siege. I think he already realized that mm-hmm. with SSG, and then I brought in all the stuff I had with EG. Yeah. And, like, he literally realized, like, it's a whole new game. Yeah. And I think and he's constantly said it to me before that like in CL, like he was just basically playing ranked and like, he just, he didn't even know. He thought everyone was playing ranked and just some teams were better at it, but it's not, it's not that simple. Yeah. Honestly, like when you get into it, like siege is one of those, that's what kind of like siege to be honest. Cause I don't think siege is one of those games where you have to be insanely talented mechanically to be able to get kills. I feel like, Getting kills with positioning as, as, and utility is like very doable in Siege. And it's and like if you look at Pengu, for example, like people always joke about Pengu doesn't have a great headshot percentage. But if you actually look at how Pengu plays, his positioning is phenomenal. Like the amount of gunfights Pengu takes where he's like a 70 30 favorite, it's actually like pretty impressive how he's able to position himself. So, like, just being a smart player in Siege, I think, at least in comp and maybe not so much in ranked, is just far more advantageable than being just a good, a raw aimer. The, the one thing I wanted to touch on, actually, and this this wraps up 
really, really well. It wasn't necessarily the next topic that was on board, but uh, the the title of the episode one for the ages, we had a couple other things that we were we were rolling over possible names and all of them came from your almost constant state of disbelief at what you see in ranked. And over the last couple weeks, if not the last couple months, if anybody follows you on social media, the one takeaway that they probably will have is just the absurdity of your opponents and even some of your teammates when you try to play ranked. And you've been streaming a lot. Your stream is, has been growing exponentially. I think you're an excellent streamer, and I think a lot of people ought to watch you more if they don't. But even just a match or two of your stream, you get this peek into this side of Rainbow Six that is just, it's its almost nonsensical. So when you specifically call out somebody hiding under a desk as Vigil, what is it that you think forms that disconnect between high-level ranked and Pro League? And do you think that there's any, I guess, downside to the way that people play ranked the way that they do when they're prone in doorways, etc.? Do you think they need to play like they're in Pro League? Or do you think those, this ranked style actually works to their favor? Um, I, I've kind of touched on this before, like on, like on my actual stream, like when people ask me, why do people play like that? And in my opinion... If you look at Siege, right, you can move when you're shooting. All the gun, Most of the guns have ACOGs, especially on attack. There's no recoil. Every gun is a one-shot to the head. So I feel like the gunplay in Siege is very, like, you know, you can play like that. And if you have good mechanics, you can get away with it. Because mainly in rank, people aren't going to be ready for it. People aren't droning every single inch of the map in rank. So in rank, it works. You get away with it. And that's why I feel like it's kind of easy to get Diamond and Champ like le like level players that don't actually understand like the game from a strategical standpoint because if you go to play ces for example right if you go against a global on ces he's going to know what's going on on the screen right he knows like how to use his utility for the most part he knows like flashing for each other and using teamwork executing on site but on rainbow it's just like you can have people that are in, in diamond who are like level like 120 picking ash every single round and trying to crouch walk into sight and get a kill and they think that's a, like that's like how you play the game right but at the end of the day, like if that same person tries to bring that into like a comp setting, he's gonna get shut down really quick, and he's gonna be like, "Wow, I, I don't know what like what's going on, right?" Like it's just because they they don't understand like in comp when you're playing against five people who are running all the info ops, running a bunch of like utility, running a bunch of like stoppage, like trap ops, whatever it may be to prevent you from doing that, you're not gonna have the same success. I mean, to an extent, like it works in ranked, but trying to transfer it over to a competitive setting is just in my opinion, just never going to really be viable in Siege. Agreed. I think the big thing it comes down to is, like, they don't know better. And I think... Yeah, exactly. Like, that that's just a simple way to put it. They don't know any better. And, like, they just they just see it like it's working. They're getting kills or they're winning in ranked. Or, like, they, like the, a lot of those players, they don't scrim against the top teams, but they play against us in ranked. And they're like, oh, like, like this is working against them right now. Like, like this is probably pretty good, right? And, I mean... I 100% can understand, like, how you see that. But you have, like, the way I started to understand the game is just realizing what provides consistency. Mm -hmm. And, like, the structure and strategy is what provides the consistency. Because the thing is, is if you're playing that way, you don't need to be hitting your shots. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly. why, like, th those same players that, like, don't understand the consistency, like, those are the same guys that, like, watch players like Bosco. And they're like, like, how does he do good every map? And it's it's because of how he plays. Like I I promise you, Bosco's probably like one of the best players to watch in terms of like sound decision making. Like mm -hmm. him and Pangu, I think are like two of the most consistent players, just because like 
they make they make the right decision like all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if like you, sorry, good. Like, like I I'm a pro player, but I I make stupid mistakes all the all the fucking time. I mean, everyone does, but like, if if you want to watch a player like and you just want to know like what to do in like specific situations, like if you want to model your play style after a player, like I suggest you look at players like Pangu and Bosco. Like those guys just they they just do it right. Like mm-hmm. you never, you never watch those two, and you're like, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" Like, and then, and then, like he, he, like you realize after, oh, like I thought so and so, but like, it's just always like the right spot, looking at the right thing. Like it's very rarely they're caught off guard. Obviously, it happens sometimes. That's how the game goes. But yeah. like that's how the consistency happens. It's like when you make those sound decisions over and over again, and then you don't have to always be hitting your shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like. The main thing is, right, like, if you ever scrum against Bosco, you'll never be like, like you said, you'll never be like, dude, what is this guy doing? Like, this guy's a dumbass or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you'll be like, oh, I mean, I expected him to be there, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, he just won the gunfight because he put himself in a better spot than me. But, like, in ranked, when you're not droning, you're not using info, and you're just walking into a room without droning, what if you check the wrong corner? Sometimes you check the wrong corner when you're face-checking. Oh, I got shot in the back. Oh, I just got unlucky. Like, you can't play it off as that, right? Like, there's stuff you could have done differently. But, like, the thing is, like, half the time, maybe it works where they get that kill and they're hitting their shots that day. Maybe they're hitting, like, crazy flicks and they just think this is the way to play the game. So, Is is there a way to fix that? Is it worth fixing? Because this is a debate that that tends to occur and it's something that I've talked about at length. And, frankly, I don't really have an answer to the question. When you watch, you know, the, the highest level of Rocket League, of Overwatch, of of Counter-Strike, of even League. You know, when I tune into streamers playing at the highest level, obviously the game doesn't look like the pro play, but it is similar enough that it makes sense and you can see things that are almost taken right out of their pro level of play and utilized in rank. Like you said, you know, if you're, if you're playing somebody who's global elite, you know, in, in CSGO, they have a pretty deep understanding of the game for the most part. Their mechanics are sound, but their games, you know, their game sense is great. But mm. one thing that I've noticed with Rainbow Six is that the game sense from a lot of these, you know, diamond champion level players is is quite poor. You know, like you said, they'll pick Ash, they'll crouch walk into sight. They don't play for, they don't play for trades. They don't pay for, you know, play for picks. They don't play utility. Is this something that needs to be fixed? And And if so, in your opinion, how do you fix it? What are the options at our at our disposal to make the highest level in game of Rainbow Six look similar to what we see at the highest level of pro play? Um, I, honestly, like I personally don't really have like a great idea of how to do it. I'm not a developer, um, but like I said, like the gunplay, I feel like in Rainbow, the mechanics, like I feel like that's why like a lot of people from Xbox were able to switch to PC so fast is just because like Rainbow's like mechanics are just very like easy to get pick up you know what i mean the movement's very fluent the guns are really easy to use there's like i said one shot headshot and everything so in terms of playing people just playing dumb i think it's just too easy to get kills in rainbow with your gun to to like make it so you have to kind of play smart one thing i would personally like to see is make it harder to get to a higher rank right now i feel like you can literally be diamond after the first two days of the season and if cs were to do a rank reset i don't think anyone would be able to get to global elite you know after two days right like you're talking about like a lot of matches to get Goki's there. Goki's already diamond, and yeah. it's been a day. That's what I mean. Like, it's been one day, and he's already, you know, the quote-unquote highest ranked, like, yeah. in the I, game. I just, and obviously, like, I guess people can make the example because of his pre- previous season's MMR or whatever, but I just think, like, one, you get, like, at the start of the season, you get way too much ELO, which is way too high, easy to rank up, and then um, I just feel like 
it, it's just so hard to find a system in a matchmaking setting unless it's like a 5v5 queue that would encourage competitive play. So I feel like, because if you have one team that's like, say me, Troy, and three other pros were to make a stack and we're going to be going in there like going, like going super hard, running full strats, and we come up against five solo queue players, those five solo queue players won't even stand a chance unless they're playing like idiots, you know what I mean? Like running out, spawn picking, trying to get a kill or two before we even enter the building. I always say this when I'm playing ranked. If we get in the building, we win by default, right? So like that's just kind of how it is. And unfortunately, like there's really no consistent way to change that right now, in my opinion. Um, I guess maybe like a 5v5 queue would be like my only thing, but then the queue times already a diamond champion are bad enough. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's kind of stuck the way it is in ranked because the reason why like the the aggressive and like stupid play style is so successful like i mean it, it even works in pro play against some teams right that and but again that's why it's inconsistent right because it doesn't always work it works against some teams or it works if a team like isn't playing well at the time or isn't communicating well at the time and that's when it works and then that's amplified and ranked because you're not playing with an actual team. So your communication is worse. You don't know what each other are doing all the time. So the that kind of play style becomes more successful and they see more consistency with it in ranked because of it. But the like the only way that people are going to stop doing it is if they realize that it's bad. Like it's literally making bad habits. Like, it's going to be worse for them in competitive if they play like that in ranked because they're going to make these bad habits. Um, but the thing is, like, like me saying this, like, a lot of people will hear me saying this and they're like, he's just mad he's getting smoked in ranked. Not the case. I'm, I'm literally, it's like, you, you just, you have to learn it yourself. You have to realize this is fucking inconsistent. Like, I, I've done the same thing. I used to play almost like that in competitive where, like, our team would play structure, but like I would, I would still kind of play like a fucking idiot. I'm not gonna lie, mm -hmm. like I would make stupid aggressive plays. I don't, I still do, but not to the same degree. But like you just, you have to realize it's not consistent. Like, yeah, you just there, there's gonna be some point in time where you're playing with your team or something, and you realize, hmm, maybe I should start playing more like this guy that does good every map, or hmm, maybe I should start playing more like this team. Maybe there's a reason why this team is is so good. Like, the reason Empire was so good at what they did, they ran it all the time. Like, if you run the same strat all the time, like, you're going to know it better than anyone else. Obviously, there is a weakness to that, right? Because you become so predictable. But, like, if you if you have five really good players and they're running the same thing over and over and over again, and they know how to respond to every single thing they come up against with it. Like, they, imagine, like, if you're running only one take on every map. If you're coming through admin every round on consulate, on all, all four sites, like... Imagine how good you are at taking admin at that point, right? If you've been doing that for years and you keep scrimming consulate, like, you're going to be pretty fucking good at it. You're going to know exactly, like, where people need to go if this guy's playing this corner, who needs to burn EDS, who needs to nade, all of it. But, like, it's, you, you don't, you don't get that the same way, um, playing, like, that ranked play style. Like, you just, you don't build that consistency because it's, it's too much pressure on yourself. And, yeah, and, like... I definitely think, oh, sorry, were you done? Okay, so, like, my, my thing, too, is, like, if you're doing, like, that crazy ranked aggressive play style, like, like Troy said, like, some people do it in comp and it works, but it's about finding a balance, right? If you're doing a dumb play every single round to try to go one for one, what about the times where you don't get your one, right, and you're just dying for free? You're just putting your team at a disadvantage for no reason. So, like, so you could jump out of a window and get one kill and then probably get traded, 
half the time, but that's just not consistent. Like it, it's just, it's just learning about like balancing yourself and like playing smarter and then giving yourself a, like an opportunity to open up for like that more aggressive play. And when you do make that aggressive play, people are not going to expect that from you. And then you can maybe get away with like maybe like three or four kills when you make that one, like and so once in a while, like crazy play. Cause they're not expecting it kind of thing. And another thing is it's also on the teammates of players that play like that to call them out. Because the thing is, is the guy that plays like that at a low level, he's probably the top fragger of the team. And the problem is, is that the other people on the team, like the support players on the team aren't going to call him out because they're going to be like, this guy, this guy's our fucking best player. Like we can't, we can't fucking speak up and tell him to stop playing like this. But the thing is, is that the again at the highest level you start getting those one for ones less right mm-hmm. you start getting those picks less all of a sudden you're playing half your rounds four v five playing dude that's those are the worst rounds in scrims I know like you can you can say the same thing Cam when someone just dies off the rip no chance to refrag the worst fucking rounds yeah like it it sucks you don't learn anything yeah because like, exactly every every strat is with five people. So, like, if you don't even have the opportunity to trade out and you're just playing the whole round 5v5, they can run their full strat and you can't. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just you're just screwed. Like, you're in such such a shitty situation. Mm-hmm. Do you guys uh, think that instituting something like a solo queue and a team queue stack would be better? Because I know, Kev, you already talked about how when you get to diamond champion level elo, especially at different times a day, it's already sparse when it comes to finding matches and finding proper teammates, right? Do you think that instituting something like the uh, specific solo queue stack or a specific team stack where you know going in your level of opponents and your co- and the coordination of your opponents mm-hmm. is is fairer? Do you think that would be something that could help kind of close this gap between the unpredictable playstyles that you see of ranked players who insta lock fragging operators and run in and, and cost early? Um, I definitely think it could help. But I just, like I said earlier, like you just said it again, like the queue times are already pretty bad, at least at a higher ELO. I mean, if maybe for like anywhere between like, you know, like the lower ranks up to like plat three, maybe like there's a decent amount of them, like it could be okay in terms of like people are, like you said, people know what they're going to be getting into. But my, my thing is, is like, even once you get to that higher level and you're playing those 5v5 queues, there's still nothing stopping the five solo queue players who just grouped up and are just like oh you know what we couldn't find a game on solo queue let's just all queue together against like a five stack and then like it's the same situation you have now kind of you know what i mean i I just feel like right now it's just kind of hard to fix the issue with ranked like and like troy said i just feel like unfortunately it's kind of stuck the way it is and there's really not much fixing it unless people themselves take that initiative to get better and like the people on their teams take that initiative to tell them like you can ask any fragger who's ever played on my team like Vert, Slebin, whoever like if you make a dumbass play I'll call you out on it even if you get a kill I'll be like I mean that probably wasn't the smartest play like and I'll give you an alternative what to do better like I'm never gonna like I'm never gonna like try to tell you like how to play I'm just gonna try to tell you how to play your spot better like you can even ask iconic or sweater or whatever i'm always going to try to make you the best player you can be and the most consistent player you can be and jumping out of windows is not going to get you that spawn killing every round is not going to get you that the the one thing that i i always see and there's always pushback and i know that when this goes up on youtube tomorrow there's going to be pushback here on this specific thing is there will be casual players who will come into the comments and say i don't want to play like a pro I want to play what's fun for me. I want to play how I want to play. Stop trying to balance or dictate the game, you know, around the way that I play. And 
it, for both of you, I, I guess, because like I think this will probably be like the last time, the last bit on this topic before we move on, because I think it's kind of run its course and we're all just agreeing with each other. For both of you, what would you say to the person that will inevitably be in the comments, either right now on Twitch or responding on YouTube, that's going to say, I don't want to play like that. I want to go for flashy plays. You can't tell me what to do. Let me play the game how I want to play. What would you say to them if you had the opportunity? Because right now you do to specifically address them. Uh, Troy, do you want to go first or should I? Yeah, I'll go. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't have anything to say because like at the end of the day, do, people do want to play the game different ways. Like people do want to play for clips or like content or like people want to want to experiment with new things. People want to play fast. Like people, people are going to want to play the game in different ways. I only want to play the game competitively. Like I, I don't, I don't enjoy the game playing casually and ranked because like if if I play casually and ranked, I actually like playing like not giving a shit and just running around and playing like those guys. Like I don't I don't want to play ranked and IGL. Like no, I don't I don't want to do it because like I I IGL all the time for years. Like I just don't want to do it. And so I, like I can completely understand it. And I the thing is is I'm not nearly mechanically skilled enough to be running around like a maniac and ranked. I'm not. I don't get away with it. Like maybe I'll have a good map here and there, but most of the time no. Um, but like to people that like say like yeah don't, you're not gonna be able to tell me how to, how to play I like I know that, and that that's part of the reason like why I don't think we can necessarily solve this issue. If it, I mean, if it's worth solving, if it's an issue yeah. that needs to be solved, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if we really can. Um, I just pe people have to learn on their own, and I mean if they if they don't want to change, they don't want to change. Like that's just that's being human. I don't know. Like that yeah. that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Troy. Like, there's really not much, like, else that goes into it at the end of the day. Like, it's not like Ubisoft can, like, literally write on the screen, like, stop playing like a dumbass. Like, you know, that's not going to happen. Like, it has to be, like, people taking their own initiative. Um, and then my thing is, as well, is, like, at least for me, like, my reason, like, I, I'm playing ranked to get better. Like, I'm playing, for the most part, how I would play in comp. Obviously, like Troy said, like, sometimes you're just going to want to run around, be, like, be crazy, peak stuff, whatever. Like, obviously, it happens, right? Like, for the most part, I'm playing to get better and playing to win. So when you're in, at least for me, like, the reason I don't, like, you know, pick the chunk every round and then just try to spawn peak is because I just like winning. You know what I mean? You're not going to win consistently doing that. The way you win consistently is, like, we've already been talking about, like, playing smart, playing good positions, whatever. So I don't know. I just like winning. Some people maybe, like, their definition of fun is losing. Um, so... Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, some people some people don't care. Like as long yeah, as they, they don't care, they're, yeah. they're I mean, like they're saying. playing it like it's TDM, and then like if they get the, if they get their kills, like they don't they don't even care if they lost. Like yeah. the amount of like there's actually people I know like they literally they'll play rank, they won't say a word, they'll just be like muted, running around, listening to music, and like fighting people, yeah. and that's it. I mean, and so be it. Like they, if that's how you like to play the game, then so be it. But like I I can't play like that because yeah, it's inconsistent, and then when I start losing, I'm fucking miserable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just can't do it. I, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, I just have a different mindset. But like, if we're losing in rank, like, even though it's just rank at the end of the day, like, I'm still trying to win, you know what I mean? And like me picking Rook or Doc and just like spawn killing a window and maybe getting a kill, it's not like a good constant solution to like stopping the losing. So for me, it's just like, that. that's it for how it is for me. But like I said, really not, like me and Troy and you have all said, there's really no consistent way to fix it as of right now. Like maybe in the future, like people will just start playing different, but just up to the individual. I mean, every single game has this problem to a certain extent, right? Like people who are just exceptionally skilled in terms of their mechanics 
that can run around and, and don't really have to pay for their mistakes and their lack of game knowledge and their lack of game sense. It happens in every single esport. I mean, it happens in real sports as well. People don't play like a team player. And I think that's really what it boils down to is there are games where you can play as an individual, as a lone wolf, and it's not really that punishing. But in Rainbow Six, very few opportunities arise for you to stand out as an individual player in, in a ranked sense and even fewer in a top level competitive sense so that if you are costing it has a disproportionate impact on your team. And I mean, we've all gone through it. It doesn't matter what rank you play at. You can be bronze, you can be silver, you can be champion, you can be playing and, you know, at the highest level of play. As Troy said, it sucks being down a 4v5. Yeah. And and it's there, you can even argue that if somebody's insta-locking Ash or Twitch or, or IQ or whomever and is not actually using their utility, it's a 4v5 in terms of the gadgetry that you bring to the table. And if you're dying early, you know, it, it, it doesn't really impact you that much because it's yeah. already a 4v5 at that point. The the one thing that I do hope is with Face It being involved, both of you were quite involved in the Pro 10s way, way back in the day. And then um, the R6TMs, I think they, they rebranded too, which was actually under the Face It umbrella. Uh, my hope is that with Face It involved for EU and, and for NA, at some point there is work being done hand in hand by Ubisoft and face it to get us like an FPL style of professional level scrim level pro league level gameplay because I mean I watched a lot of both of you streaming the 10 mans and it was some of the best content that I think we've seen the average casual viewer doesn't get to watch scrims because teams are naturally very guarded when it comes to scrim clips and the only scrim clips that are shown are usually highly edited and they're uploaded you know months after the fact People want to see what it's like and hear what it's like to be in the in the thick of it when it comes to proper tactical gameplay, the thought process, the calling, the droning, the way that you set up, etc. And I know that there were some issues with the Ten Mans, but at the same time, I am I am hopeful that we see a resurgence, especially when NA does eventually move to land and everybody's able to live around each other, that we do start to see a more concerted effort for some Ten Mans and some pro-level gameplay, because I think it was... It was ultimately great content. Agreed. And a big point is like, I know, I know people love listening to like pro gameplay or like competitive gameplay in the comms. And I, honestly, like I love listening to it. Like I love listening to it in other games. Um, I think I yesterday, I think I was talking about true sight Parker. Like true sight is basically like the, the basically them playing in game, like in a grand finals of <laughs> the biggest event of the year in Dota. And like it's it's literally just like the the team talking and communicating and just all the vibes of the team. And I think like that's that shit is so entertaining to me. It's like crack to me. And like I they have recordings of comms from events, and I think they should release them sometimes because I think they're very entertaining. Um, and I think people would love them, but mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if they're gonna do that or not. Um, you mean like when Cap was the, talking about Alfama on Rogue? Yes. I mean, there, there are so many, there are so many good ones. Yo, that guy there, fucking there really sucks. Are. There really I mean, are. No, there, there are some good ones. <laughs> I mean, I mean, my thing is like, they could definitely do like little segments on like YouTube of like specific rounds. Even it doesn't even have to be a full match, like specific rounds where like, say like, um, I'll just use two random teams, right? Say TSM and dark zero are playing and dark zero gets two early picks. And then TSM wins at 3v5. Like, just show the comms of that round, like, how that 3v5 happened, like, how they were working to get those kills back, like, whatever. Because the thing is, like Troy said, like, 
when you have a strat, it's 5v5. So when you lose two people, that whole strat's out the window, and all you're relying on is, like, skill, comms, and teamwork to get that advantage back. I feel like those are, like, really entertaining grounds to win. So I definitely feel like stuff like that is, like, what you can do to, like, even just, like, even, like, even, like I said, if it's even just, like, a round or two or whatever, like, it doesn't have to be a full match. Um, just upload them. People would, like, lo- like probably learn a lot, probably like to listen to them. And then it would maybe even encourage people to start, like, trying to play like that. Agreed. Actually, what you just said there, like, it reminded me of something um, from what you were saying earlier, Parker, about, like, how how that play style, like, that inconsistent lone wolf kind of play style is, like, it punishes everyone else more when it's not working in Siege. And I think it's the same for, like, CS. Like, basically, the non-respawn shooter, when you have one life, like, that life is extremely valuable. Counter-Strike, Siege, Valorant, like, to keep it basic, like, it's a game of numbers. That's really that's really all it is. And like Kev was saying there, right? Like, when you're down in a 3v5, you need to find a way to bring it back to, like, a 3v3 or, like, some sort of numbers game because, like, it, it works different on different sites. But Siege, very simply, is, like, you, you have ways to win certain sites if you have certain numbers or if the other team has certain numbers. So, like, like there's ways to win, like, a 3v3 on like plain villa every time like if you're in these three spots like every time like you should be winning it Mm -hmm. in a 3v3 on plain villa or something like with this much time and like those 3v5 friends are like really interesting because that's when the team is like going through that they're like all right like let's let's try to get these picks and then they might find someone that's isolated and they're like let's push this guy let's see for this guy whatever to work that pick and then after that there's there's usually a point in time in that round where they bring it back and then they realize Okay, now we can play it like this. I'll hold mm-hmm. this, you hold this, and then like some someone sit on yeah. this cam to watch our back, and now we can win the round. Now we force the plant, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's very interesting to see that because a lot of people don't understand. Again, people don't understand that part of the game, right? People are, people like the amount of there's even pro players that say this to me, like the amount of pro players that are just like, bro, you, if you just kill them, like you win the round. That's it. Like, yeah, it's it's, like... it's, not, it's not that simple. Like. You you have to think about like when when you no longer need to kill them like when mm-hmm. you can just sit there and like they have to come kill you yeah right or they have to plant and then now you can kill them because now again goes back to the numbers when they're planning all of a sudden they're down a man right so when you, that's I mean that's the biggest advantage of defense right like you're in a three v three all of a sudden you can say force the plant now they're in a two v three when they're planning and now all of a sudden the rounds like basically in your hands yep. And it's like, it's like, it's like, inter- I think those rounds are particularly interesting, right? Because like we said, strats are 5v5. And the as an attacker, if you have five players alive, your ultimate goal is to plant the bomb, right? That's your objective, plant the bomb. When you're 5v5, that's doable. But when you're 3v5, that's absolutely not doable. So your whole strat goes from trying to plant the bomb to trying to get kills back to even your man count, right? So like your whole dynamic of how your team is playing changes depending on your man count. So when you're going two man down and you're trying to get your kills back, once you get those kills and like Troy said, when you get to a 3v3 and you're trying to plant, then you it's a whole different dynamic than it would be in a 5v5 trying to plant because you don't have as much coverage, you don't have as much gun power, you, don't, you might not have the utility you need to plant. So it's just interesting to see for me at least how those teams are going through like certain situations because trying to get bombed down when you're 3v3 and you have a Capitao up, is different than if your capital got first blooded, right? Like it just depends what you have. It depends how smart your team is, what utility you have available to you, what your drone economy is looking like. Like all that stuff is just such a big factor on to, into how Siege plays. But I feel like a lot of the casual community doesn't understand like the thought process that goes into those kind of rounds. 
I mean, yeah, and even, I mean, sorry, I was just going to say, even even Fabian talked about this last week, where he said, you know, there was a he was actually kind of surprised at how few teams actually have a very strong understanding of the game, and it was something Troy that you and Fabian agreed on was even still to this day, five years into this game's lifespan, there are still coaches on top level teams who have no fucking idea what to do and aren't doing anything to really help the team. So it's like, how how much longer are we going to continue to see pro-level teams fail to understand the way that, you know, rounds play out, the way that strats break down, etc., and and then expect ranked players to to try and understand it? Well, we're, we're not even at a level where, you know, the top four in every single region has a coach who's really proving their worth. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Troy. No, I mean, I completely agree. And I what I was about to say, though, was adding on to what Kev said, is even even the reverse in those rounds, like hearing the comms and how a team closes out like a 5v3 or whatever like that to maintain the numbers advantage because it's just important when you're in those situations to realize the advantage you have and to force the other team to make plays and to be like conscious of the fact like, all right, they're 3v5, like they're going to try to bring the numbers. Yeah. Like that that is what they're going to try to do. Like they're, they're 3v5, they're not just going to walk in and plant. That's not what they're going to do. And like you need to be conscious of that. And all of a sudden when like you hear... When you like you you start watching like the cams in the back because someone's gonna try to lurk and like probably try to get a flank off or something right like they're not gonna play like the standard like top down and like smoke execute onto the site they're not gonna do that they're gonna try to lurk and like get a a hero play right yeah um and you you have to be aware of that and you have to like kind of check all the boxes make sure there's no room for them to make that yeah. hero play like I always tell like the young players on my team like I slub in iconic right like. Just because you get a kill, that does not give you the license to go and die, right? Like, you're not supposed to give that kill right back. You get your kill, and then you hold, because we have a checklist, whether it be attack or defense, right? On attack, we're trying to plant the bomb. Defense, we're trying to stop them from planting or make them plant, and then we just try to retake whatever the strat may be at the time. Like, just because you get your one kill does not give you the license to go die. Oh, sorry. I don't know whose thumb that is. But, um... <laughs> That's Okay. No, it's fine. But uh, my bad. That says. But um, that does not give you the license to go die, right? Like, you still have to close that round out. Like Troy said, like, make sure you're watching the flanks. Make sure you're ready for that hero play. Make sure when you have your man advantage, you're always ready to trade someone. Like, you should never be taking a 1v1 when you have a man advantage, ever. Like, there should never be a 50-50 gunfight when there's a man advantage. And if there is a 50-50 gunfight, as soon as that guy dies, he better be dead right away, right? The guy who killed him. So it's just about positioning, teamwork, comms, and actually, like, just the calling that goes into closing the rounds. Now, this yeah, is a, like you, sorry, you can, I'll give you last word. I'll give you last okay. word. And like you said, with the, the whole trading thing, um, I think it's also important to realize like this, this is where like the individual play comes in. It's like sometimes in those rounds when you're five or three, like this even happened to us at invitation before, although like I made a mistake, but uh, on SSG, I'm talking about not on EG. We, we, we literally threw plenty of rounds when I was on EG. Um, but on SSG, we're a lot more disciplined where, it doesn't happen as much and we're better in like those number scenarios where we're ahead. But like sometimes someone's going to make a hero play and sometimes they're going to hit your shots and you're not right. Sometimes it's just going to be like, hey, it was his round, right? Like that, that does happen. You have to be aware of that. Um, and, th and that's kind of the beauty of Siege because there are those highlight real plays and there are those players that can make those highlight real plays. And that that is where like that inconsistent rank style can come in. But you have to realize, like, when it's even, you don't need that, right? Mm -hmm. If you play the game right as 5v5, like, you don't need to be hitting your shots. When you're 3v5, 
okay, maybe you need to start hitting some shots. Maybe you start you need to start making some plays. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's go ahead, Parker. Sorry. So this is no, no, that's okay. This is the perfect time actually to move on to our next topic, uh, which is it, it's a bunch of little topics that we'll all just put together, but it's going to focus on on the new rosters, predominantly U.S. division, because that's obviously where all three of us are going to be. Now that the talent announcement is out, I can talk about the fact that I'll be involved. But um, let's focus specifically because I know all of you have had, or both of you have had this exact experience. You know, Troy, you you brought in Fultz. He was brand new, green to the game. You've literally watched him grow. Kev, you've done the same thing with Iconic. You did it a certain extent with Slevin. You mentioned that earlier. But then you've got Disrupt Gaming, who's now bringing on NJR. He's never played a pro-level game. Mo had to go through this with EG. What is, from two very experienced players in the scene, and, and I mean, I don't need to, I don't need to qualify your experience and your knowledge. I think you've already displayed it in the last, you know, hour or so, 40 minutes that we've been live. What is the single biggest thing that new players need to learn and adapt to when coming into pro league? And then from there, we'll talk about the rosters and all that has happened in US division with TSM picking up Chala and all that jazz. But this is just a launching off point is what is the learning curve for new players to come into top level competitive play and what can you help them with specifically given both of your experiences with with rainbow six um i would say my main tip is if you have those people on your team right like iconic got on this team never played cl even right i've been in pro league for five years and he listens to like whatever i tell him right because he knows i've been around the block like he knows pro league is way different than anything else he listens to whatever i tell him to do for the most part, right? He's always trying to learn. That's like my main thing is I always listen to the people on your team who've been in those situations and who have made those mistakes in the past. So you don't go and make those mistakes. You don't like, if you have that advantage to you, like you should always take it. Like NJR, for example, we talked about NJR. He has shuttles, a two time event winner. If, he, if NJR, if he's listening to shuttle, like shuttles won two events with the rogue, like shuttle knows like what mistakes, like what, 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 what like the common mistakes are, what like the common, like, good plays are what the common good spots to play like if nj like listens to players like shuttle even nicks like nicks has been to a few lands you got to listen to those players on your team who've already been there done that to grow as a player and that that's how you're going to grow like exponentially fast like fultz for example had troy bosco rampy like these guys have all been to multiple events bosco and troy have been to like 10 plus land events you got to like listen to those players like um and like i talked about this earlier when we we're talking about the ranked player like once you get that one kill it's not about like keep going, go for a highlight reel in comp. It's about closing out the round, learning how to play for the win. Don't play for your own stats, play for the team. Like the other, like when we first picked up Iconic, I saw him get two kills and I saw him challenging the third guy with a pistol. And I looked at him, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you, you could drop back, reload your gun. Like you weren't even man count now. Like play, play your life, play smart. Listen to like what other, what your team's doing. Like ask questions on like, if you don't know what to do, ask questions to like the people on your team who are your like leaders. Um, there should never be a point around where you're just kind of just sitting there not looking at anything. There's always something you can be doing to like benefit your team winning the round. Yeah, I mean, to add on to that, like it's just at the end of the day, one of the one of the best qualities about it, like that you need to look for is just being a good teammate, being being coachable, right? I mean, it, it's said all the time, but being coachable. And I think a lot of people like they hear us say that and they're like, yeah, but you don't really need to be like if you're nasty or nasty like it's no it's not that fucking simple man like it isn't trust me like trust me when i tell you like i would rather play with a guy that would listen to me or would listen to his teammates or is asking for like help when he isn't playing a spot well 
rather than just some fucking guy that runs around and kills people. Like it's just like how like how am I supposed to work with that guy if like he just does it and then I I say like hey I need you to do this and he's like no I'm just gonna go go peek this and get a frag like yeah like how the fuck am I supposed to work with that guy yeah I I'm not saying that I'm always right and I'm not saying that my teammates always have to listen to me but being open to the conversation and the discussion is the most important part um and I think that's a common mis- misconception is like a lot of people like when I when I talk about like how how I see the game or like when I talk about leadership and stuff like that like. I feel like people are under the impression like I'm just like fucking telling everyone what to do and like I'm just like a fucking like a dictator or some shit. Like that's not the case. I like I I'm wrong all the fucking time. But it's just important to have the conversation. And obviously when you have more players with experience around you, like the conversation gets better and better. But the most important thing is just having the discussion. So like I mean what's so great about our team is that everyone's involved in that discussion. Like when, whenever there's an idea for a strat or whenever like someone doesn't like how we're playing a strat, it is vocalized and people do make, everyone makes suggestions with how we should change it or how we should play different. Um, and I mean, like Fultz is the same way. Like the, the guy was fresh out of Challenger League, but like he, he makes probably, like next to me, he probably makes the most calls in game. I Like I always make the final call, but like he constantly brings up ideas and suggestions as to like what we should do. He'll like see something and be like, hey, maybe, like, Troy, maybe we can do this because they're not reinforcing this. And I'm like, Dude, you're right. Like, we just right away. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, we're, and then I'll build the strat around that, because, like, you're you're not always gonna be right. You're not always gonna see everything. You're not always gonna have the right idea. So just being open to that and just just realizing that you can be wrong sometimes and that you can learn from everyone, basically. So my question for both of you is, when you look at people who've never even played in pro league, iconic has never even played in challenger league, Kev. You know, you've got NJR, who's never played in Pro League either. Fultz had had some experience on Organized Chaos, uh, which was the team that Merck was also on uh, prior to getting picked up by TSM. How do you determine who has potential and who doesn't? Because one major criticism that I've heard about North American Challenger League and the T3 and the T4 scene, for those that are unfamiliar, Tier 1 is or was pro league i guess now it's it's u.s division and i guess you could throw canada division in there but we still need to see how that league shakes out um tier two would be challenger league tier three would be you know national cup slash ccs tier four would be everything below that how do you pick somebody out from the t2 t3 t4 scene and think that they have potential because they've never really proven themselves somebody like rampy had never really proven himself prior to getting involved and now he was you know one of the top rated players last year somebody like njr or iconic who have very limited experience if if not no experience at a high level are now both getting an extraordinary amount of hype for their skill ceiling what do you look for in players to determine whether or not you think they would excel on a roster in in the the highest level of play um for me like when we went into like picking iconic we kind of looked at Okay, well, because we tried out lags in NGR as well from that same team, and we looked, we were like, these guys have been scrimming together for like two years, right? That roster, for the most part, is kind of stuck together for like a year or two. I, Troy can attest to it, right? Like, when they played together, like, they were all underrated, they didn't really have any experience, but for them, they, they had a pretty good understanding of the game when you scrimmed against them, right? Like, they, they, they weren't like any crazy, like, Empire-style team, but... For the most part, they weren't just like spawn peeking every round. Like they tried to play the game. They tried to like they they held flanks. They flanked together. They roamed together. They entered behind drones. Like they had a good understanding of the game. So like you can already go tell coming into it that they know what was going on. And like on top of that, like 
those people, those players were, for what I understand, talking to them and trying to learn out. They're all willing, willing to learn. Like, even when we decided not to pick up NJR, he DM'd me after asking, like, Yo, do you have any advice for me, like, going forward? And to me, that's just, like, something that's, like, really, like, just shows me, like, he's he's going to be, like, a great player in this league. Like, if he's already, like, even though he didn't get picked up, he didn't say, you know what, like, fuck the Sonics. They didn't pick me up. Like, fuck those guys. He, he said, he DM'd me. He was like, yo, thank you for the opportunity to try out. Do you have any tips for me? I would love to, like, learn. And I was like, wow, like, this guy's going to be, like, really good one day. Like, the reason we went with Iconic was because he was a better fit for Nep's role, right? And so automatically when he comes in, he would be like, yo, how did Nep play this? Did he have good ideas playing this spot? Oh, he we, – and we were like, maybe he didn't Maybe he didn't play this spot well. We were like, you know, try to change, play it how you like it. And he started playing it how he liked it. And if it worked, we were like, great, keep doing that. And he was like – if he was playing it wrong, he'd be like, how can I play it different? He'd always watch the VOD back after the scrim and be like, all right, I'm not playing this spot well. Do, do you guys know of any pro league players who play this spot that I can go back and look at how they play successfully? But I'll use this for an example, right? If you play cafe and you're on the new balk as an attacker attacking third floor and like, that's your spot, right? Like you're on the wing and you're like overlooking the whole site, Troy, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you're just kind of like overwatching the whole site. If you don't know how to play that spot as like a lot of people put as a fear and IQ there, you should be going to TSM VODs and looking how Bolo plays that spot. Like, my team, we call Bolo the king of the wing because you can never kill Bolo on the wing. You need to learn how Bolo plays that spot because Bolo is phenomenal at playing that spot. It's very hard to kill him off of it. He's always taking advantage gunfights against you. And it's just like, if you're trying to play that spot, like, look at how Bolo plays it. Or if you're trying to play, like, close towel on coastline, look at how Pengu plays it. Pengu is, like, phenomenal at playing that spot. Like, learn what they do. And if and, and even because they even make mistakes, too. Right. Like they're no one's perfect. Look at what mistakes they're making and try to understand why they're making those mistakes and implement all that into your game and form your own play style of just consistency. Yeah, I mean, completely agreed. Just looking looking at other people learning like that. That's really all it comes down to is like trying to learn and improving. Um, talent, talent only will get you so far because at the end of the day, like if you're not learning from your mistakes, you're not going to become more consistent. You're not going to catch up to where other players are now. Like that's the only reason why, like, like the only reason I'm still around is just because I've played for as long as I've played and because I've learned so much. Um, it's not, it's not because I naturally like had a crazy understanding of the game. Cause like my understanding was like just as good as anyone else's at the start of the game. Like, it's just that I played a ton. Obviously, I don't play as much anymore, but, like, I watch the game a ton. I play the game a ton. Like, I, I try to understand, like, all the spots on the map. I I know now it's gotten to the point, yeah, where, like, I just I watch the game a lot more. I don't play it as much just because I, I don't find I get as much out of ranked anymore. So I scrim and I watch the game a ton um, and, and just think about it in that sense. But, like, you just, yeah, like, wa watching other players, figuring out how they play a spot, asking... It, like if you know you're bad at playing a spot just being like i'm not playing this spot well like i keep dying here like how do I, and literally just asking your teammate like how do you think i could play this different like the amount i'm telling you the amount of times like fultz has asked me that it's like it's it's literally it's so impressive that you just like i, I didn't have to say anything he just goes troy like do you think i should, do you think this would be the right way to play it and he just says that and i'm like uh i think you should play it like this way probably and then like fall back if if they clear this or whatever, or if they have this map control, then you got to leave. Um, and just like kind of the cues of like when, when you need to fall back, when you can fight, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, just, just being, being hungry to learn, being a good teammate. Like that's, that's really all it is. Buying into like your, buying into the team. Um, 
I know that like this is a big like quote I preach on, but like uh, I think I think it was just something about like basically like the, the best kind of teammate is someone that makes like everyone around them better. It's not necessarily the best player, but they just they make everyone around them better, like being contagious. And it, when when you're like that, everyone wants to learn, right? Like when you're making everyone better and teaching everyone, and then everyone and then you're asking and you're trying to improve, like everyone does it. Everyone picks up on it. it like it's just contagious. That's how it works. Um, and I mean, this it goes the same way though when your best player isn't that way. Like when your best player just does whatever the fuck he wants, everyone looks at him and they're like, well, he's nasty and he just does whatever the fuck he wants. Like maybe I should do that too, right? Like you you need to set the standard. And I think a, a way that we we have it on our team is just because I mean, obviously, Lycan built our team, right? Or helped build it alongside like Nate and the other players. But like everyone on our team believes in team first like individual later like you just everyone everyone puts themselves or sorry the team before themselves and like he he's interviewed like everyone i mean i don't think he interviewed me as deeply i mean we we kind of talked i think he understood my my kind of approach to the game because i had been around for so long and he had too but like every, everyone he picked up like he interviewed them and like talked to them ex extensively to figure out like their understanding of the game how they approach the team like how how they would approach situations and like just kind of judging them judging them as a person to see how much they want to learn and I think that's just the easiest way to tell because like you can, you can't really tell in game like this guy's a ton of potential like I I can 100% tell you that from playing challenger league teams like I didn't know much about Merck or Fultz I 100% thought like Merck was way better I'm not gonna lie I thought Merck was way better just from playing against them I was like this guy's gonna be nasty. I didn't know Fultz was going to be nasty. I, was, I thought he was pretty good, but I didn't think he was going to be as good as he is. But, like, I mean, genuine, ge ugh, genuinely, one of, like, the best teammates I've ever had. So, yeah. So yep. let, let's let's now move towards, because um, there does seem to be a consensus here. A general wrap-up for anybody that's just tuning in seems to be, it's as you just said, it's hard to gauge consensus. It's hard to gauge potential. But the big thing is is hunger and drive and not having an ego, which is, I know that having an ego is a, is quite a problem for a lot of the amateur level NA players. And I know that both of you would probably agree with that. Um, but uh, the willingness to learn is huge. And I mean, sometimes you take a chance on young gunners and sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, Fultz and Merck both came from OC. There was a period of time where OC was widely considered to be, you know, the best, if not second best team in, in what was it? NA challenger league, the same season that, elephant gang was in there which was the precursor to the sonics and oc had a stranglehold on first in a challenger league merc and fultz were you know seen as two of the most solid players they had tons of potential fultz fultz and merc both disappeared in the second half of that league that season challenger league and then oc fell and then ultimately didn't even make it out of the challenger league playoffs to then play in relegations and i think it kind of hurt both of their stocks and then they get picked up by these two teams and they flourish so let's now look at the players who have been picked up and let's actually start with TSM. We'll, we'll go back to the young gunners like Iconic and, and NJR that we've talked about. But first things first, let's talk about the team that finished second in NA. They picked up Chala. Now, does it surprise either of you that they were looking to make a roster move after how rock steady that team looked with Pojo Man on support? Do you think Chala is the right play for that spot? And do you think Pojo going back to coach is ultimately a wise decision for TSM to make. Um, are you going to go first, Troy? 
Um, sure. Uh, so my my thoughts on it kind of this again. I'm I'm outside looking in here, but I get the feeling that they're kind of chasing a honeymoon phase thing on that team. Because I don't. I think Chal is a good player. I think Chal is a really good support player. But I don't think replacing Pojo with him, I guess, like, solved any issues for them necessarily. Like, I think I think they improved some areas and probably got weaker in some areas. But I think, like, overall, the net gain or, like, net loss, like, it, it's probably not much. Obviously, it's always easier to tell or, like, easy to say that, like, from outside looking in. Like, we don't, we don't know what's going on. So maybe, maybe they're fucking way nastier than they were before. But I don't see, like drastic improvement happening from that change i will say poja becoming the coach like that can always be helpful but i mean i'm i'm sure they probably could have found a good coach uh regardless not saying that they made the wrong move but the thing is is whenever you make a roster change like i feel like you have to really believe that the the net change will be like drastically positive like i don't think it's worth taking the risk of making a roster change to only possibly like slightly improve you know what i'm saying like i feel like you have to be significantly better from it for it to be worthwhile cuz it is a big risk like sometimes you make a roster change and it just doesn't fucking work and then all of a sudden if you can't figure it out like your your team will crumble because of it like like a lot of issues come from that because when you can't figure out an issue, like everything starts to break down. That's when that's when people start to have differing opinions on like how you should play the game. Like people want to have different solutions, but like no one's solution is working. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, this guy's solution isn't working and mine should, but we're not doing my solution. And then that's that's when conflict starts to happen, right? Um, I mean, but like I don't, I don't know how it's going to play out. I just think it was risky. And I think... Because I don't see insane potential from the change, I don't think it was worth it. But, I mean, that's, like, me outside looking in, so... It was, like, a lateral move, basically? That's basically how I see it. But, again, like, they could have had internal stuff that I don't know about, right? So, um, take that with a grain of salt. They They know everything better than me, so... Would you agree, Kev? Um, I agree to an extent. Uh, I, I know TSM wanted a coach and Pojo's coached them in the past. So in my opinion, if Ch- I think Chala's a good player, don't get me wrong, right? If Chala can do just as good as Pojo did in-game and then the rest of the team thrives because Pojo's bringing in a bunch of extra knowledge and has extra time to make strats and has extra time to correct mistakes as a coach, then in my opinion, that move's probably worth it, right? Because like, it, it, even though it, it's like, I, I can't see Chala doing like 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 you said, like any like thing crazy like worse or better, like maybe. But like if, if Pojo as a coach, because I think Pojo's a pretty smart guy, right? Pojo's been along for a while. If he's out around correcting all these mistakes and as a team that that it's just better because like everyone respects Pojo. Pojo's like tenured on that team, he's been there for so long and everyone's gonna listen to Pojo when it comes to making mistakes. When you have that one person on your team that's kind of like, you know what, like everyone stop like the bullshit. This is how we're going to fix the issue. Like as a team, like we're going to work together. Like, I think that's a pretty good thing to have. Like, I feel like the coach just has to be there. I like, kind of like how like it's for SAG, right? Where you have like that main guy who like everyone's going to look up to and respect and no one's going to question him when he's like, all right, it's time to stop like this, all this arguing. Let's just actually find a real issue. If that was like one of the issues TSM was having, and I think it was a pretty good change bringing in Chala for, for Pojo and like moving Pojo to coach. 
I wonder I wonder what Chala really brings though, because you know, I if you look at Pojo's stats on you know the the bot his largest body of work obviously came from the whole F3, uh SK, and then Dark Zero I, I guess squad, because he was on that team for like two years or or, or a little bit yeah. longer than that, right? And the way that they played him was they almost always put him in positions where he was just waiting to die. On defense, his job was to hold, you know, uh, his job was to basically hold the line, sit in a spot, eat up utility, play smoke, but smoke wasn't really crucial in a lot of their stats. They often relied on, you know, uh, uh, from what I what I saw outside of their like cheeky strats, the real thing that defined like the, the F3 SK, and then it, it kind of changed around the time of Dark Zero, but... It was that they were very aggressive. They were very unpredictable, but it's hard to do that when you're an anchor and it's hard to do that when you're smoke. And it's hard to do that if that unpredictability blows up in your face. And now it's, you know, a two V five. And this was something that I, I think happened with the elevate CLG roster, the old skies, laxing shuttle England geo roster was that they would play really hard off of their roamers. And if the Rome blew up, then you would see Chap in England or Geo in England or Shuttle in England having atrocious stats because it was almost always a 2v4, 2v5, 1v3, etc. And Pojo was kind of used the same way. Well, TSM uses him a little bit differently. He's far more active. He's he's not necessarily just droning. The drone work seemed to be more consistent on TSM. And Pojo was involved in way more action. He was he wasn't getting as many plants down, but his KD and his rating was significantly higher on TSM. So I I do have to wonder why they thought to bring in Chala. Was it just that they think maybe he has more offensive upside and that maybe he's capable of clutching more than Pojo did? I, I'm not entirely sure. And I mean, it would be nice to pick their brain on it because I, I had some concerns about Pojo Man's abilities. But it turns out it's just the way that he was used for the most part, because he performed significantly better on TSM after he stepped off of Dark Zero. Agreed. I think it's probably kind of like Kev was saying earlier, like they probably wanted a coach and it might have been a matter of like Pojo could coach. They couldn't really find anyone else that they thought was suitable. They had Chala as a replacement. They felt like Chala could do a good enough job replacing Kojo, Pojo, but they would still get a coach. So I guess I maybe that's how they saw it. Um, I will say I definitely like I definitely think Chala is more mechanically skilled than Pojo. I think Pojo even thinks Chala is more mechanically skilled than Pojo. I think like I don't think there's any denying that. I will say though I think Pojo probably brought a lot in terms of comms. Like yeah, I, I've I've heard plenty of times that Pojo has really good comms and like I believe it. Um, like he, he he's a very kind of calm guy. Right. And like that, that's very big to have on comms. I think um, I'm, I'm not always the same, but like uh, I think I think that's a big thing. And just like he, he just his communication, it's good. Um, and I, I have heard like one of one of the biggest critiques I've always heard of of Chala just because I mean, you, you hear things constantly through the pro scene. Also, I, I do team with some of his former teammates, but like I heard it even before I joined SS3 was he's a quiet guy. And I mean, you can even get that just from talking to him or like seeing him, right? Like you can tell he's a, he's a quieter guy. And I do think that with the way TSM played, they might have lost out on something in that sense. Um, just because like they, they go from like such a vocal player to a, a lot quieter of a player. Maybe they'll have to do some role swaps to kind of make that work. Um, maybe like 
moving moving more vocal players into the hard sport role or something like that. But I do think that that could be kind of the downside of it. But again, like I do think Chala plays that role really well. And I think he's a really good individual player, even a good team player. It's just, again, that's what I've heard is like one of his weaker sides. Um, so I don't know. I don't see a ton of potential with it, but like, I mean, they obviously thought it was a risk worth taking. Um, I mean, I can respect that. Like, they they did they didn't need a new coach, so yeah. I, don't know. I think I, I think it could make sense. I think also the thing is like with Chala coming in and maybe losing some of those comms on Pojo's end. I I think it might not be the worst thing in the world if if other players on the team, I guess we know, step up more than they have before and kind of try to bring more to the table. And try to make that discussion, like, you know, fill that gap of, like, what Pojo was, like, leaving behind in terms of, like, the comms and the idea making in-game. If other players can jump in and fill that, and then they just wanted Chala simply because he was a little bit better mechanically, like, whatever it may be, like, then I think the change, like, if they thought that was a risk worth taking, then, you know, they obviously thought about it. It's not like they just, like, woke up one morning and you were like, oh, you know what, Wednesday, let's just draw Pojo and put him to coach. You know what I mean? It's not like, there's obviously some more that went into that than just that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they definitely knew what they were doing with the change. If it works out, it just if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, then you know what? Maybe they just bring Pojo back. He's still on the roster, whatever it may be. Like we'll just have to see how it goes. But I, I personally can't see them getting worse. I, I in my opinion. Yeah, my only concern would be chemistry. Um, sometimes you sometimes you swap out one piece. You think it's an upgrade, and it's not. You know, it, it happens. Um, sometimes you you think, okay, well, there's a better player available. Let's take them. And that player might be better on their own, but when they come into the team structure, they don't actually excel. You know, a good example of this was Vitality. Last season, you know, Vitality picked up Goga and Hungry to add to the team. On paper, I thought those were two excellent additions in Europe, and I thought that it certainly would have pushed their skill ceiling higher. I think it would have made them better, and maybe in the long run it would have, obviously, since then they've made two changes. They picked up Ryze and Fabian, and now, you know, Bibu is is the lone man standing from two seasons ago. But at the same time, they just, they didn't seem to gel. The team did not play well coordinated at all. They looked sloppy. They they looked like one of the worst teams in EU for three months. And it, it shouldn't have been that case because they, I would say they, they indisputably upgraded in both of those positions. And sometimes it just doesn't work, right? And they've always got Pojo on standby. standby. They've got him, they've got him coaching, you know, no slight to bagel. But I think there are some questions that could be raised and were certainly raised after he was abruptly dropped after SI. You know, you don't you don't finish top four, well, technically top three at the biggest event that we've ever had and then turf your coach for no reason. Like there's clearly something going on behind the scenes. And I think that what Pojo is going to be able to bring is going to be significantly higher. You saw how well he was able to help the old EXG roster, Accelerate Gaming or whatever they were called before they got picked up by TSM. His his impact was already huge and was right there. So, yeah, I, I think a big thing about it is it's hard to find good coaches. We can talk about this forever, where a lot of coaches are just kind of stealing checks. We talked about it last episode. Uh, I think it'll come up quite often. Um, and the job of coaching is going to get a lot more thorough and a lot harder um, once we get a replay system in the game and they can actually be a little bit more, uh, I guess... <laughs> good at their jobs, I guess you could say, and have more resources at their disposal. Um, th- the next question that I wanted to ask, though, um, outside of TSM, 
is let's take a look specifically at this disrupt roster because it's not just a new pickup on NJR. It's a new roster entirely. And we haven't really delved into this. Both of you have scrimmed against them, presumably. And to me, they are the single greatest question mark heading into the U.S. division. So the questions that I want to bring up regarding that, and I mean, either of you can answer first, is number one, what's the upside of this team? What do you think their ceiling is? Um, you know, and, and how do you think ultimately they're going to do? And let's also look at the groups that we have, because now we know the two U.S. division draws. There are groups and both of you are in separate groups, if I remember correctly, if, if my memory is serving correctly. Troy, you're in Group A, Kev, you're in Group B. Um, and what do we think the expectations for Disrupt are this season, this split, etc.? Um, I guess I'll start off. Um, I mean, they're even a question mark to me, kind of. I mean, we've scrimmed them a couple times. It's, it's always hard to tell in scrims, though, I will say. I'm not... This, is, this isn't even me saying that they're going to be, like, worse on game day or something like that. But you don't you don't know if people will be better or worse on game day. You don't. Um, it, it, like, you, you don't know how a team really is until you play them in a match, right? Um, I mean, some there's plenty of teams that are the exact same in a match. There are also plenty of teams that play a lot more scared in a match. Plenty of teams that are fucking crazy in a match. Like, it's you, you don't really know. And Disrupt is a new team, so we don't really know. Like, I will say I scrimmed against them when they had Drip, and I scrimmed against them when they had NJR, and I think they're significantly better now with NJR. Um, that's not even a shot at Drip. It's just, like, it seems like they just play better as a team now. Like, it's not like NJR joined the team and, like, NJR is going fucking nuclear now and, like, the, the rest of the guys are getting carried, but just they seem to be playing better as a team. Like, I think... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if it's something NJR brought. I don't know if it was a realization the team made. I don't. I obviously I heard about there was like conflict between Nix and Drip. Maybe Drip wanted to play the game a specific way, and Nix wanted to play it a different way. And now they're playing it Nix's way. I again, I don't fucking know, but I do think they're significantly better now. I do think they have a lot of potential. I think they have some good players on there. I will say, I think the roster is kind of a weird mix of players because it's like. Four pretty quiet guys and then Knicks, which is like, I feel like it's like too focused. Like, I feel like Knicks is the only voice on the team, like the only big voice, maybe. And again, I could be completely wrong. I'm not on the team. I don't know how all the players are. Um, I know retro how he was like a few years ago. But like, again, uh, they they just all the four other guys seem a lot quieter. And I think. It can become a problem if you don't have like enough voices in a team, um, and that's not necessarily to say like you should have a bunch of voices in your team and like you should all be disagreeing all the time. Like you always still have to come to an agreement as a team and like have one kind of unified vision for the game, but you need more voices kind of contributing. And I do think that it could become problematic, especially if like Nix has what might be like a bad idea and he doesn't have enough people calling him out. So that that that's part of my worry. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. That's just, again, outside looking in. But that's how I see it. I pretty much agree with everything Troy said. I do think... Um, we only, I've only scrimmed them one time since they picked up NJR, but I do agree. I do think they looked better. Um, not Obviously not, like, taking a shot at Drip, like Troy said. Like, 
if, if this, the, their play style definitely you could tell is different than it was before when they had drip. And I think it's a lot more like organized and a, like more consistent in terms of like how they're running their strats. But I, I agree. Um, my thing with disrupt is that they don't have like many vocal people other than because him because I've teamed with Shuttle and Shuttle's just a pretty quiet guy, you know, like he does his role, he does whatever, but not a very vocal guy. They they don't have a coach either, which kind of worries me. I don't think they don't have a I don't think they have a coach, right? So when it comes to decision making, it might only be Nick's. And like, I always say, like, you need like, like that alpha of the team, right? Who's like, everyone's going to respect. And like, at the end of the day, like when he says it's time to stop all the bullshitting and like, let's actually find a solution. Like, let's all find a solution. And if you don't have like, if you don't have anyone challenging the one guy, like Troy said, if he's making the wrong calls, it could be detrimental for your team. But at the end of the day, we're not in their team speak when they're playing matches. We don't know like what the other guys are bringing to the table. So historically, like it may say like they're pretty quiet, but. For all we know, like they could have all, you know, maybe they, it was just about finding the right team. These guys together, maybe like are all like gelling really well together. Maybe they're more comfortable around each other, whatever their case may be to where they're calming better and they're using teamwork better, whatever like their issues were before and they fixed them. So if it's they're like the wildcard team, if they if they succeed well together, then I feel like maybe they could beat anybody. But at the same time, they could also lose to anybody. Yeah, I'm I'm curious just because, as you pointed out, they are very quiet. And that was the one thing that really stood out to me was, you know, for people who don't know the exact the exact disrupt roster, you've got Nick's, as I'm assuming, team captain. Uh, I don't know if that's an official title or if it's just an honorary one. But I mean, he did the U.S. division draw and has been in large part kind of the face of this team alongside uh, Reed, Retro, Shuttle and then NJR adding the firepower and the newest pickup replacing drip slash yardy who was on the team up until literally like a week before i i think the announcement came about the u.s division i to me they're a big question mark just because and i and i don't mean this to be rude so i hope they don't take it that way but none of those four players really stood out on their team they didn't really take over any games. They weren't, you know, superstars. They were all players who'd been dropped for various reasons on their squads, or at least considered to be first cut on their teams. And I think that there's a really compelling story that can come out of it about, you know, four players coming together, all from different teams, different play styles, and and just kind of gelling really well, as you pointed out. But the question is, how long do they have to get to that point? They've already made one roster move and they haven't even played an official match yet. Are they already considering the next move? Who is the next on the chopping block? Because, you know, if Nix is the leader of that team, every single team, and gentlemen, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, every single team knows who first cut is for the most part. So who, if Disrupt needs to make a change, who's first cut on that team and who would they bring in? What do they need? Does that team have an identity yet? And it's really tough because it's not like they came in grinding out Challenger League. It's not like they came in, you know, clobbering the T3 scene. They're, they're not very familiarized with each other. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of question marks. I think there's a lot of hesitation to say that they're going to be able to compete with the best of the best in, in the U.S. division given the fact that there's just no film on them. And the only real thing we'd be able to go off of are scrim reports. And I mean, the only real glimpse we've had is Troy saying that, well, with NJR, they are performing much better and are a better team overall. 
And a lot of teams aren't going to out them and say, yeah, they're dog shit in scrims, you know? So it's hard to kind of find that information and, and you know, understand that pros aren't going to openly beat up on a team that they played in private and public. Yeah, agreed. I think you, uh, you nailed it there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, with that said, the next lineup, um, the one that I wanted to focus on uh, was Tempo Storm. So Tempo Storm, of course, made a couple waves. Um, they took on TSM, which kind of surprised everybody. You know, your 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 evil genius slash team captain Seth Super Hoffman uh, easily had this whole giga brain strategy laid out for the way that the U.S. division draws were going to be, and then Tempo Storm just kind of threw a wrench in everything, and then decided to take on TSM in the very first week, which I think surprised a lot of people. For me it was excellent because it, it builds a narrative and it builds a storyline. And, and that's what, as a caster, I really focus on. And, and it makes my job, frankly, easier to tell a story when there's already drama or bad blood or whatever between teams. But the general consensus among Tepo Storm was that they had butters on this team. They were going to drop Mark. Sloppy was going to come in. They kind of threw a curveball at the very end saying, actually, we're not going to drop Mark. Mark's been doing really well. Let's get rid of butters and bring in Sloppy in his place instead. You scrimmed them. Both of you have scrimmed Tempo Storm with Butters, without Butters, with Sloppy, without Sloppy. What's the immediate difference that Sloppy brings and was ultimately deciding to remove Butters off of the roster and keep Mark from sub to full-time member? Was that the right call, do you think, from what you've seen? Um, I personally did not think Butters was that big of like an issue on that team, I guess. I, I thought Butters was always like a pretty like solid player, especially like in that during that first split. I thought Butters was a good player. I think the decision to bring in Sloppy was kind of interesting, not like trying to roast Sloppy, but I literally had n never heard of Sloppy before Tempo was like trying to pick him up. I don't even, I think he might have been in EUCL, maybe not. I'm not really like 100% sure. Don't quote me on that. He was on uh, MKERS, I think, M K E R S or M C E S. I don't know. I always get both those two teams confused, but I think he was on M K E R S. Yeah. I think so. Like I like I couldn't even tell you who else is on that team. Like I, I'm not sure. Like if they just saw something like with like sloppy from like vods he sent them or something like whatever it may be that they decided to pick him up. But obviously like if they wanted to pick him up, they saw something that everyone else didn't. And then I thought they I, I definitely think Mark is a good player, but I also thought Butters was very good. So I just thought it was kind of confusing to me that they did they they got rid of Butters to bring in sloppy because I feel like if they were gelling with Mark. They they might have just stuck with Butters and Mark, you know what I mean? And maybe just like kind of just not went with the whole sloppy thing like throughout because I, I just think it's very interesting because like the multiple times we've scrim tempo, I kind of always see them changing roles. Like I've seen sloppy on like maybe like three, four different roles now. So I don't know like if that's just kind of how they play, like they just kind of like switching roles often or if they're just like internal issues that people aren't comfortable with their current roster. But there's days where they show up and play very well, but there's also days where I think they show up and just play like below average. Um, I'm not sure what goes into that. I'm not on their team, but I personally thought Butters was definitely the better option to stick with. Um, as far as better, I mean, I don't, I don't know as far as the players. This is, I feel like they're an entire, I mean, obviously they're a different team now with Sloppy, but the way they play as a team is entirely different now. This, this is my impression of tempo. And it's probably going to be a bit brutal. But, I mean, so I felt like they used to try to play the game right. Quote, unquote, right. 
and it didn't work out very well. And I mean, there there's probably reasons it didn't work out very well. I think they used to have players where they couldn't they couldn't get the right roles because some players weren't flexible enough. Um, and then I like I think they had sort of role issues. I mean, again, I don't I don't know a lot of things internal issues, but um, like the way they tried to play the game, like it seemed good to me. Like it didn't seem bad. It was just like a matter of figuring out like the fine details of it, and like getting people in the right roles, all that, and possibly getting the right players as well. Now I will say, after after that season, now they have Sloppy and Mark. The the vibe I get, and like I get this vibe with like some teams will give me this vibe like literally like halfway through a scrim they're getting smoked the first two maps and then like halfway through a scrim I say they lose full and then they just start fucking going crazy. I feel like after last season Tampa lost full and they started going fucking crazy, and I feel like that's how they play now. And that explains that inconsistency. And hey, man, like if you're gonna play like that, fucking embrace it, whatever. But like, I do think there's gonna be an inconsistency issue. Like I'm, I'm gonna call it now. I think, I think Tempo has the potential to like beat some top teams. But I, like, I literally think they're like the definition of like that inconsistency issue because of how they choose to play the game. Yeah, I feel like the main issue with playing that style, right, is like on a good day, you could show up and beat the best team maybe, right? But on a bad day, you could show up and lose to the worst team. And that just, you don't want to be that team, right, who's like, depending on like how you wake up that day, oh, that, if we're hitting our shots, we're going to beat these guys. If we're not, like, you know, a 50-50, maybe we win, maybe we don't. Like, I just feel like you kind of have to build that consistency in your strategy and your comms and your teamwork to make to like to like be that next level team right like that top four team and playing like kind of like that crazy style like troy was saying is just like you're due to have inconsistency it's not players have bad days all the time it's not something that you can control like some days you're just not going to be hitting your shots um it's just going to happen not much you can do about it there's um i mean we were talking about earlier like those players that we talked that we were talking about where like they can win or lose you around like in the first 10 seconds, right? And I call them first blood kings because like they either die first or they get the kill first, right? Like either way, they're in that first engagement. And there's a lot of those players in Pro League. But I think Tempo has three of those players. And like, like if you think about how fucking risky that is, that like you got three guys that might win you the round or very well might lose you the round like real fucking quick. Like, it, it, it's scary. I mean, that being said, that means they also know how to play, like, in low number situations, like, where they're 3-5 to bring it back. But again, like, it's just, it's a consistency thing to me. That's all. Um, I mean, they they might shut me up. Who knows? But um, that that's how I see, like, I that's how I see it. I, I feel like they have a very inconsistent play style. Um, but... I do think like their ceiling is higher now than it was before. I do think the way they were playing before, like they weren't like they weren't doing very well, but like they were trying to be consistent. Now I think they threw the fucking consistency out the window and they're like, fuck it, we gotta win some games. And I mean I, I mean I respect it, but um long term I feel like it's hard to be happy like that, but I mean that's just me. I like I can't be happy being in, inconsistent. Like that's literally why I left EG. Right? Um so that's that's my take on it, but um I'm a different. So 
Like, would you rather be consistently fourth through sixth in the league, or would you rather be a team that can, you know, humble the number one team and then, as easily said, lose to the worst team the next week, you know, and, and inhabit one of those roles, uh, whether you're seventh place or whether you're fourth place based on that. Um, Tempo Storm has been a big question mark for me as well, because if I remember, they were the old, they were faceless, and then they came into Pro League and they didn't make any roster changes, if I remember, when they got bumped up from Challenger League. And I was very surprised by that because, I mean, they they definitely weren't a standout team for me in NACL. And then they they really surprised me. And then they, they opted not to make a move, which is not usually the pattern that NA Challenger League makes. Usually what happens is you finish, you know, top four or even top two you make a roster move because now you have a chance of getting into pro league. So what do you do? You usually cut the weakest link and then pick up a pro league player or somebody who is from pro league or is pro league level caliber. Then you play your relegation match. And then if you win, you usually add one, maybe two more, you know, people that are, were off teams that are free agents that are, are indisputable upgrades over those positions and people who are struggling against challenger league players will also very likely struggle against pro league players because it doesn't make any sense they wouldn't right and that was the whole thing with e united was they dropped abunai and fozo both of whom had kind of middling stats against challenger league players well if you're not if you're not able to beat up on challenger league players you're probably not going to be able to beat up on pro league players so you're going to struggle even more those are kind of weak links that whether they're fan favorites or not a team has to address if they want to be competitive and you hate to see it but Teams remake their entire identity. Let's go back to Vitality. Goga, Hungry, Fabian, and Rise. None of them were on that team as of seven months ago. And now that's the identity of Vitality. So sometimes you have to make changes. I just, I don't know. I, I was so, I was so surprised by Tempo Storm towards the end of the season because they did start to play really weirdly, really aggressively. They got their first win if I remember it, like the last week of the season or their second win, the last week of the season. And to me, they're, they're the next question mark after, after disrupt, because I'll agree. I didn't know anything about sloppy. And I remember seeing the rumors go around and I, I thought to myself, why this guy, like no offense to sloppy. He seems like a nice guy and I've heard good things now, but if you're going to import somebody, there was a, a laundry list of people from EU who would have been better pickups. Now, the question is, would they move and would they play on Tempo Storm, who at the time was a bottom team in, in NA? I don't know. And that's the real question that I think needs to be answered. So um, with that said, uh, let's move on to uh, your team, Kev. Iconic. You mentioned it very briefly. You went through a, a position or a transitional period where you were trying out lots of people. You ended up settling on Iconic. You've already kind of talked about why you picked Iconic on his potential, but how has your roster started playing with Slebin and Gonfi, with Super, with you, with Iconic, how have you been able to keep pace knowing that you in particular have been out of the pro scene for quite a while and the rest of the Sonics roster after getting relegated was on the bench too? How hard have you found it to be able to keep up with the other teams at the top level? And what do you think you're going to see out of your team and what should we watch for this season? Um, so obviously we, we haven't played an official match yet with this roster and it's like been a while since we played an official match. But I also think it's kind of also like kind of a pretty kind of a blessing, right? Because we got to be able to scrim all the pro teams throughout the season. Like we had, we could because we weren't at CL either, right? Because we were going to get the invite, so we weren't. We had we could scrim pretty much anybody we wanted to. And the way I personally like to scrim, and um, I kind of just try to always convince people on my teams is you're always trying to 
bring the same energy to a scrim that you would to a match. Like, obviously, you're not playing to win the scrim. You're still playing to learn. But you want to kind of play with that same intensity, right, round in and round out. So that way, by the time match day comes, you know, keep the same routine. You wake up, oh, like, do my warm-up routine. And, wow, this match feels just like a scrim, right? You want to keep that consistency throughout. Because at least for me, um, when you when you kind of build that consistency, it doesn't really matter if you're on and off playing official matches. Because if you're just bringing that same intensity, by the time you get to the official matches, it's just like another day in the office. You know what I mean? Uh, obviously, it's gonna there's gonna be like slight variations in how you approach a match. Like you're gonna do some things in a match that are kind of like maybe like a one off that you wouldn't do in a scrim. But at the same time, uh, you're just you're doing whatever you can to win. And in a scrim, like even though you're not playing to win, like you're still trying to win and trying to capitalize on your mistakes in a match. You just want to bring that same intensity, but bring all your knowledge into that like game and try to like put all your knowledge together to win that game. If that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand that. Yeah. It's kind of weird to word that, but yeah, no, I, I know what you mean, but yeah, like just, yeah, you're, you're playing to, the way the way I see it and kind of explain it, and it's very similar to what you say. Is like you want to bring the same intensity to scrim, but like the way I play scrims is like to kind of expand your playbook in a sense, right? Like you know, by by scrimming, you know better now how to react to certain situations, mm -hmm. right? Now when you play a match, when you come up against possibly one of those situations, you know how to react. Obviously, and this is another thing I always preach is like. Every fucking match you play, you're going to come up against some shit that you've never seen before that you would never see coming. Like, it's, it's going to happen. Like, shit hits the fan. That's how it goes. Um, but that's, a, that's another thing that you, I think, when you bring that, that same practice intensity, um, I think you get better at dealing with that kind of stuff in scrims. Because if, you're, if shit it does hit the fan in scrims and then you bring that same intensity and trying to, trying to deal with it on the fly in the scrims, that's how you're going to deal with it better in a match rather than just kind of running the strat into the ground. Yeah, that, like, people always talk about countering in scrims and things like that, and I, I necessarily don't think, like, all right, well, we're scrimming this team, and they do the same take every time. Let's just stack all five people because we know no one's coming here, right? But, like, making minor adaptations in scrims, I think, is also, like, pretty good because when you make those minor adaptations in scrims, it, it kind of makes it easier to make those minor adaptations in the match and when you're making those minor adaptations, right, you're kind of stacking the odds in your favor and making the other team throw a curveball into their strat. And I feel like that's something that's like kind of like a mind game during match day, right? Like trying to outsmart the other team from a strategical standpoint instead of just like, you know, just only having to shoot your gun. During scrims, like you're definitely not going to want to, you know, a team on coastline pushes pink bar. Well, I'll just put all five people in pink bar, right? You're not going to do that in a match because like in a match people are going to call audibles but if you want to rotate like some shields or some barb specifically for that team like the next round or whatever it may be i feel like that's just like a really good way for just to get in your opponent's head make them think make them throw those curveballs yeah you want to you want to get into the habit of being able to adapt right because like other otherwise you you just build the habit of just kind of sitting there and running the strat yeah. That that is a problem with a lot of teams is they don't they don't adapt as well in matches because they aren't used to it in scrims. It's it's very rare for people to kind of have that ability to just kind of flip that switch in matches where all of a sudden they're they're adapting a lot better. I will say like it, it does happen. People can do it, and like you you definitely probably will think of more things naturally in a match just because you're so much more invested into winning it and just bringing more intensity, but. It is still important to try to do the same thing in in a scrim, just so that you can get used to it and 
Yeah, just and and also just so that all the players are used to it too, because I know that's it was it was a problem we actually had on EG where we we actually adapted a lot more in I mean we still do it on SSG we we adapt a lot more in matches than we do in scrims but we like we still do adapt in scrims but it was it was the same on EG the only thing on EG though we we did have some issues where like sometimes when we would adapt in game at a tournament obviously it happened like the the complaint came out more when we didn't win of course but it was like a frustration at like the lack of comfort when we would basically we would do stuff that we didn't practice and i think that's something like you you have to be okay with doing shit that you don't practice in a match you have to be okay with it because what you practice isn't always going to work because you're going to come into a match and the other team just might have something that's better than what you have they might have a strat that's better than what you have so you have to do something else like you're you're not going to go into the round and just be like their strats better than ours. Let's just see if we can run it better. Like, no, that's like that's fucking stupid. Like, you you try to give yourself the advantage, and you're like you you have to do things different. And it is it is a thing that um, has been really good on SSG. And uh, an example of it was it was our TSM match um, in groups at Invitational, I think. Yeah, in groups at Invitational, and it was more specifically after the cafe map. In, in that match, which was the last map. But I remember like my teammates literally saying, like they were they were we were joking about it after the match on stage. We were just like, bro, like we ran like five strats that we never even ran before. Like they were like Fultz was telling me he's like, Troy, like you literally like just made some shit up like right out of your ass in prep phase. And we're we were literally saying like everyone was comfortable doing it though. Everyone was willing to do it. It wasn't like I said some shit and then everyone was like, I don't know what to do. Right. Um and I think that's very important. Is that ever everyone was comfortable with it and you, you need to be able to do that in a match. And and I think that goes back to what we were talking about before with having a consistent play style, because I I'll, I'll say like kind of like building off what you said, even though the strat changes, right? How you're playing the game is staying the same, right? Like you're you're still playing like that consistent style. You just might be playing a different spot with different reinforcements, but your comms are still going to be there. You're still playing for trades, like whatever. You got to build that consistency. So when you're throwing something that's not like typical for you in a scrim, like you're comfortable doing it, like even though you've never practiced it because your your teams are your teammates are commenting what they're doing. Your teammates are telling you what they're watching. You're, if you don't know what to watch, someone's going to tell you what to watch. And that consistency is just going to help you like adapt to stuff that you haven't seen before. Because in ranked, right, like people are going to run. Oh, sorry, I mean, hey, I'm like, you're going to run like uh, people run like a pretty default setup. But say like you play a team and they run like a crazy setup and in, in ranked even, for example, right, and you don't know what to do and your teammates don't know what to do, you're all kind of all just sitting outside the building waiting for something to happen. But if, if everyone on your team is calming and just throwing ideas and just playing that consistent style, you're going to be able to find a solution together to make your adaptation work. Now, uh, that's uh, a pretty good look at the teams that made roster changes. You know, Oxygen didn't make a roster change. SSG didn't make a roster change. Uh, United didn't technically make a roster change because Alfama made his debut like last split. Um, so we're we're basically in this position now where we, we've summarized it all. Um, the last question, and, and just briefly, because we have we have just a little bit under an hour left, um, and I want to get into I want to get into talks about the qualifiers that we that we did and we casted, and then I want to get into to Easily's questions as well because there's been some good questions that have been asked. Um, now is the time, by the way, if you're watching live, 
If you'd like to submit questions to easily in the discord, there is a area for you to go and ask questions. It's literally called questions for easily. So, um, do I have time to run to the bathroom real quick? Uh, yeah, be, I mean, yeah, I'll get Troy right to answer there. this one first. Um, Sounds good. yeah, I'll get Troy to answer this one first then. Um, and, and Kev might just end up echoing things you said, but, um, knowing every single team now that's in North America and knowing the way that the meta is shaking out and from what you've seen of scrims, my question just to you is what is going to be the biggest surprise? Is it going to be a player? Is it going to be a team? Is there even going to be a surprise? What is the one thing that, that viewers are going to watch that they're not going to see coming from the U.S. division in particular? Hmm. Not to put you on the spot or anything. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is hard to say. I do think that overall the teams have gotten better in NA. Like, obviously everyone mentions the kind of big four of NA, right? Um, ourselves, OXG, TSM, and DZ. But I do think more teams are stepping into the fray, kind of. And uh, I think, I, I don't think it's no longer the big four. I mean, I will say it has to be kind of proven on match day, but like I haven't felt like this kind of balance in terms of like skill of all the NA teams um, in, in a while. Like there's not really like one specific NA pro team that we scrim and like we absolutely stop that always used to be the case. Like there used to just always be one of those teams where it was just every time just stomp them. And that's not really the case now. Um, it's, it's definitely more balanced throughout, I would say. And, uh, it's, it's interesting to see again though. Like I will, we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, cause a lot of, again, a lot, a lot of teams, like I haven't seen them with their lineups in a match. And again, that can work both ways. They can be better in a match or worse. I'm not saying that these teams suck and that they're all scrim stars. I'm just saying that it, it could be different. And like some of these teams could be even better. Um, so it, it, it is hard to say. Like like an example of a team that like I think could definitely be better and that is already like doing pretty good. Like I think Kev's team, Sonics, like I, I think they'll probably be better in matches. I do. Um, but like, you, you just don't know with those teams. So it's hard to say, but I do think overall NA is a lot closer than people think. I feel like people think there's a huge gap between the top four and the bottom four. And I don't think that's as much the case anymore, but again, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe we do have a bunch of scrim stars. So, so Kev for, uh, just a brief recap, basically the question I asked was if you haven't followed the scene as, as in depth as everybody else and, and, you know, you're just. You're just kind of watching and that's all you really do. You don't consume Twitter, nothing else. What is the biggest surprise that is going to come for fans this season? Is it going to be, is it going to be the meta? Is it going to be a specific player stepping up and really asserting themselves? Is it going to be a, a team? Maybe they, a team implodes. Maybe a team does really, really well. And, and Troy basically just said to him, it's that NA is a lot closer than people expect. Um, and that, it, you know, it used to be the big four just like LATAM kind of had, you know, it was DZ, TSM, Space Station, and Oxygen. And now it's still the big four, but it's a lot closer and it won't be as much of an upset if, you know, one team beats those four teams below. So uh, you, you're welcome to agree. Um, if not, regardless, what's your perspective? Is there going to be a player that steps up? Is there going to be a, a team that steps up, et cetera? Um, for the most part, I pretty much agree with everything Troy said. Um, I Like he said, I can only really tell from scrims. I have no idea who's going to play better, who's going to play worse in a match. I personally think like 
for my team, for example, the Sonics, like the way I like to practice, the way I like to play, I know Seth kind of agrees with me on this is right. Like we play like that structured style. We play like the utility game. We play like, you know, like, like siege properly, right? Like proper siege, whatever kind of style. And I feel like that's like the most consistent style. So if we, I feel like if we could translate it to matches, like we can really come in and make an impact, which I'm hoping for. But at the same time, we talked about earlier, right? Like some of the teams that play a little crazier who can show up and beat anyone maybe on game day, right? Say you show up and have one of those games, like you could have an upset really easy in NA in my opinion. So I agree with pretty much everything Troy said with that. Is it even considered an upset at that point? Like, is it? Uh, I mean, I mean, I think, I think going into the match, you have your favorites, right? Like by on paper, like if you have like SSG versus like whoever, whoever, like what, like maybe not like against like DZ or TSM, like the odds might be closer, but against anyone else, like you know, they'll be they'll be a favorite. But if they get upset, obviously they're not planning to get upset or like lost, right? But. If, if 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 that if you if you see a team like play a close game and beat SSG like at, at the like anyone could beat anyone in Siege I feel like depending on the day depending on their play style so I, I don't really think it's that big of an upset but I think it still is an upset I would say not calling out SSG in specific obviously but yeah like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that like we're fucking crumbling but like it's, yeah it also like it, it's it's them catch up it's not necessarily to say that like we're still fucking nasty and like if the team beats us that they're just that insane like if if they do like if if that were to happen like yeah then you you could obviously give us criticism and say like we're getting worse or something right um but i do think teams are better like us losing to like like us losing to tempo now is not the same as us losing to tempo last season you know right uh, that that kind of thing um yeah and yeah. actually, this this is like kind of a sidetrack, but when you were mentioning like the the proper siege thing, and I think this like it's something I I mention all the time because like I always say like imagine if they actually knew how to play the game or like if they played right and all that stuff. And I guess it's not necessarily because like that that when we say that it, it is kind of like shunning the idea of like different ideologies of the game. But I guess the best way to put it in, in kind of like broader terms is like. When we talk about like proper siege or like the right way to play siege, we're talking about like fundamentals. And I think like fundamentals don't change for siege. Like at the end of the day, it's better to trade your teammate than to go one for one. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, than than to like die and not get traded. Right? Like that's that's math again. Like that's that's just how it works. Um so like like fundamentals can't really be argued and like when we, when we preach this kind of stuff like at the end of the day it's fundamentals it's what make you makes you more consistent and what's what makes you better like all all of the best all of the best teams of all time believe in fundamentals they're like G two they they played with fundamentals E G we played with fundamentals Rogue, Rogue when they were top three in the world like they played with fundamentals like all all those teams believed in it uh, like on S S G we 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 follow it. Like NIP follows it now. They used to not follow it, and that is why they were like so inconsistent now. Now, like they're an entirely different team than when you used to play NIP. Entirely different. But like all that stuff, like it, it's important, and like that's what we're preaching. We're not saying like you can't have a unique idea on how to like play the game, where like you run unique operators and like try certain strats. Like like DZ, they used to run like the quote unquote cheesy strats. But the whole time they understood fundamentals of the game, right? They knew how to play a post plant. They knew how to how to trade out. They knew that when you're in a three v five, you try to get the numbers back. 
they knew that when you're in a 5v5, you don't take like super unnecessary risks. Like that's, again, fundamentals. So I just yeah. wanted to add that because uh, I think I think that clarifies it a bit more rather than us saying that like we know the right way to play Siege and no one else knows it, right? It's fundamentals. It's like in that that applies to anything, like any sport, all that stuff. Like that exists always. So I, I want to move this on to our very final topic before we get into questions because I am just I am just obviously wary of time and and for those of you that want to ask questions the Discord link has been shared a couple times in the Twitch chat if you're watching this or listening to this on Spotify Apple or or YouTube then apologies there won't be any way for you to interact but just leave your comments down below if you're watching this at a later date for those of you that are watching it live feel free to jump in and ask some questions um, I want to move on just to the qualifier cast because obviously both of you have a unique perspective having joined. I think for every single one, I think you've both been a part of um, the Paris major two invitationals and the Raleigh major. I think we've done four sets of them, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, Kev, I remember you competed in them as rogue. So maybe you didn't take part in the first one, I think, because if I remember you were on rogue, but then for the 2017 invitational, I think you were invited, but I don't think I did. I can't, I can't remember my timing, but anyway, um, First things first, uh, what do you think those styles of casting bring to competition? And what do you think they bring to the scene? Uh, and what were your experiences like taking part in them? Because we don't, I mean, we don't really have them. It's very similar to the way that Beyond the Summit does them. So for both of you, what do you think it adds in terms of content? And, and, and do you think there is opportunity for us to do more of them? Um, I actually like, I had a lot of fun doing them. I like. I was actually gonna say the same thing, like comparing it to like the Beyond the Summit kind of thing, like what CS does. I think it's a good mix of having fun and kind of like trying to give people better knowledge about the game. Because I feel like if you're trying to learn the game, there's really no better people to listen to than people who play professionally, right? Like who's their full time job. So I feel like when you have like those pro players, like me, Troy, like whoever it may be, like Super Skies. Uh, Lex, whoever, like whoever the pros are that were on with casting with you that time, right? Th those guys all have a very good understanding of the game and can explain very well what's going on in that match that's being played better than I feel like kind of like anyone else can because obviously like, they, they they do that's, that's their job, you know what I mean? That's what they do for a living all day, every day. They live and breathe siege. So they can explain that way better than I feel like a lot of other people can just if you were to just watch the game with no commentary and also I feel like it's like kind of good to just show like pros you know like they can joke around have fun like we obviously casted that 92 dream team match where hyena was just like peeking everything on doc like it was just like just for a good time but at the same time you people still learn stuff from that match yeah I I like it's it's the balance right like it it's kind of like what we're doing with the podcast in a sense, like the idea that we have behind it, like not only to give insight into the game that people wouldn't get otherwise, just because like pro, pros don't, don't do that. Like they don't, they don't do podcasts that frequently or they don't cast that frequently or they don't just like frequently voice their thoughts of like the game and philosophies on the game on Twitter. Like sometimes they do, some pros do it, but not all of them do it. And I think this gives more people more exposure to different people's perspectives. And then also it just sheds light on the personality, um, which is a big thing that we don't have a lot of in Siege. Whether or not we have more opportunities to do it, though, like I don't I don't know if we'll have more opportunities to do it now because like what it, what it seems like with the current format is like I don't I think there there is an online qualifier, right? But it's 
but it, I think it's like casted by the actual studio probably because it seems it's still kind of close. Like it's not a big, huge open qualifier. It's like a qualifier between like Canadian and U.S. teams. Or, I I don't know exactly. I so. I don't have any greater information. I don't know how much of that I'm going to be involved in. I don't know if there will be you know steps or qualifiers. I think for the majors now there aren't any online qualifiers for the majors. I think. The only the only qualifier spots I think are for the six invitational. Um, from what I understand, yeah, the the only thing that we'd be able to cast would be like January, February before the SI because there's there's twenty teams now and there's four four like regional invites. I think that's it. Yeah, but I we don't even know how those work necessarily because I swear I remember reading something about like it not being like a big open qualifier like it was before. So I don't even know if it we'd have the opportunity. I mean, obviously, if we do, I would love that. I mean, I I actually, I really miss it this year because this was, yeah. this is, this SI, that was my first time having to like play a qualifier for it. Holy fuck, that is stressful. Like not fun. I never, I don't want to have to do that ever again. I want an invite every time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun to do and I definitely miss doing it. And I, I mean, I definitely like, more opportunities to do something like that i think i think it's really good for the game i think fans love it again for the insight and for the personality because like we we have personality we we can sit there and and shoot the shit and laugh and joke about the dumb shit teams are doing the thing is is those guys can laugh about it too like i like hyena is a really funny guy like he he is 100 percent laughing it up like when we're sitting there just fucking making fun of his spot and then he's sitting there smoking everyone on tellers like that that everyone loves it and uh even for the players involved it's great so uh yeah over overall good thing i want to see more of it yeah that was kev's line the promoted to doc that has traveled around the moon and back and is still yes. very much like embedded yeah yes. it's still embedded it's like you want a frag you get the doc it's yours that's, so that's, like yeah. that's just that's just how it is like we're like back on rogue like we always used to fucking Every, every time we would like play EG in a match or a scrim, when you saw Rook and Doc in the in the pre, in like the pre, the prep phase, you knew like it was about to get crazy, like with the old EG. So it's just like just like a, one of those funny things that we just transitioned into like the casting. Yeah, I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I I, I probably remember. I know the round that probably had that effect on you guys. It was the Paris Major one on Bank, right, where I pulled out Doc on open area. Yep. Because yeah. I remember it, it was literally just like that. Like we. I think we we were struggling winning other sites, and then I think we noticed that you guys always entered through ATMs, and I was like, "Fuck this! Like, I'm just gonna fight them." And I literally just picked Doc and like just I literally just sat. At, I mean, obviously nowadays people ha- like are so much better with dealing with that, but I was just like, "Fuck this!" And I just sat at the top of the gold stairs and just didn't let him in. Um, but yeah, like that, it was pretty funny. A good yeah. time. Oh, definitely. Like, and another round that comes to mind is like on at USN, like when we when Rogue won the first USN against you guys, and like I, on consulate, I remember I repelled up the spiral windows of stature, and then you and Nate were Rook and Doc Long Dash trying to peek me. And I was like, "Holy shit, boys, I'm out of here!" Like it was just like it is just like uh, just one of those funny things. Kev, you were a natural on those qualifiers, and you, I mean, the insight is one thing, but I think as much as the insight is really important for. A significant section of people watching i think let's be honest most people watch for the humor right and just getting a couple a couple guys on to just shoot the shit 
and kick back and you know troy's comment about what is this, this is some 4 30 a.m shit you know and then kev's whole promoted to doc kind of you know comments and then when you're talking about how he's unstoppable and he hasn't even moved more than four inches then was it rexon on bandit got like the 3k in the final seconds against dz on on oregon you're like yo that guy that guy's doc next round he just got promoted to doc like, yeah. no, it's, <laughs> and i i feel like that stuff is just like it's stuck in rainbow six and for you in particular kev is it something that you've just always been good at because i mean you, you post the videos on twitter that people see all the time of your reactions and your commentary and ranked but is it something that just effortlessly comes to you to be able to provide humor to the insanity that we see even in professional level matches i mean yeah for the most part, kind of, it's kind of just like a natural thing. But at the same time, like anyone who watches my stream, I guess can attest to this. Like I answer like a lot of questions on like why I do certain things or why I think someone made a bad play. And I always say like, just cause the bad play doesn't work. But I always try to like incorporate some kind of humor into that. So you remember like why, like I said that, right? Cause like, you're like, you're more likely to like remember what I say if it's like funny or whatever it may be. And you're just always gonna come back and think about it. Be like, oh, like, I probably shouldn't spawn peak with Doc because like I don't want to get demoted next round or whatever. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> whatever it may be. No, I mean, and, and that's the kind of thing where uh, I'm. They're honestly, they're some of the most fun uh, that I have doing this. You know, the fact that we've never had a Beyond the Summit event where we can just sit on the couch and just be casual is is kind of a bummer. You know, it Dreamhack to me kind of encompassed. Uh, that sort of atmosphere or that sort of attitude or at least it, it projected that sort of attitude but the problem is is that dreamhack is not really supposed to be taken seriously it's you know it's a it's a fun gamer convention where it's supposed to be low stakes but then the problem for us was that the events had actually a huge amount of significance because teams were fighting for major spots or for si spots like you can't you know so it's like here i am kind of kind of joking around with kicks at dreamhack winter and taking it really chill but then it's like these two teams are literally fighting for an invite to the biggest event of the year and the biggest event in, in our history at that point point. and it's like how do you kind of balance that out so i just wanted to touch on it because it's always really fun to get you too involved and i mean i'm i'm always going to do it if if i can so i just wanted your your perspectives on it but with that said, we've got like 30 minutes. So let's go into some questions here because people have been asking more and more questions. And I think the, the first one that actually caught my eye here, and Troy, feel free to look through as well. And, and if you find any questions that you want to ask him, go ahead. Um, this comes from Sloop. He says, is there anything in particular you think that North American Siege has that would stop you from moving to EU in the future? For example, maybe the meta, etc. Pengu has said before that he would most likely move to NA. So what are your thoughts on that decision? Your opinions on the topic overall? Um, I just think it kind of just depends on what, what you're looking for. Like, obviously, I think the salaries and housing situation is always going to be a little bit better in NA because people are just like, don't really care about the money as much org wise. So I feel like that's what you put into account. Like, you're probably going to stay in NA. And I personally, in my personal opinion, I just think that NA meta is a little better and more suited to how I personally like to play. But I, I would never be opposed to like moving to EU if it was for the better of my career or any region for that matter. Agreed. It stands to reason. I mean, the, the one argument that Pengu made and, and to try and, you know, put this in perspective, because a lot of people are going to hear that. And, and if anybody's clipped it, they're going to be like, oh, my God, Pengu's moving to North America. Pengu's just talked about how he 
he really prefers the North American lifestyle. He's talked about how you can buy a big home with air conditioning and it's more conducive to his lifestyle. And there's more, you know, there's more networking opportunities and there's more media opportunities. And yeah, you know, if for those of us that aren't going to disclose facts and figures, a lot of the NA teams are paid significantly better than EU teams and EU teams are significantly paid better than LATAM and APAC teams. So if you are trying to increase your exposure and you want to be able to get media opportunities, you want to be closer to giant media centers like either New York or L.A., you're not going to beat N.A. And now the fact that N.A. is going to have LAN and is best of threes, you know, a lot of people in EU are green with envy because they're playing online with best of ones and draws, which they feel and have complained about quite a bit already on, on social media that it is not a very competitive rule set. Now, obviously, there are restrictions to having 10 EU teams play in best of threes on LAN, so they're not quite there yet. But I can understand, and I just wanted to contextualize what Pengu had said, because a lot of people might be alarmed and be like, oh my god, is he leaving, you know, is he leaving G2, etc. Did you spy a question, by the way, Troy, or would you like me to... Yeah, um, this one from Styx, he asked a... Uh... Most of the second part is what I'm really interested in hearing. But uh, yes, who do you think is the most influential person in Siege? And then also, what kind of persona do you think is missing from Siege? And then he gave an example, like a Thorn figure, for example. Um, because I, I do have thoughts of like, yeah, we're missing some personas. And I, I'm interested to hear what you think, okay. for sure. Um, I, I would say the most influential person is Siege. I, I guess you could kind of just, it, it kind of goes region to region, in my opinion. Uh, I, I feel like if you were to ask me like who the most influential Siege personality in brazil i'd probably say like zig you know what i mean like because he's like he's like a celebrity there but for example from like i guess like you can kind of bunch eu and na into one and i would probably say pangu if you ask anyone about the pro league like pangu is probably the first player that comes to their mind in terms of like record like they, they he streams they recognize him like he's been in the league forever so i would say like eu and a probably pangu sorry about that people are screaming and then um I, I guess like for APEC, I'd probably say one of the Fnatic guys, Magnet, probably would come to mind. But just it would just for me, it just has to be your region or region. I don't feel like there's that one like most influential person. But then comes to like the people that are what kind of person do you think we're missing? I definitely think like there could be more kind of like Doran kind of personas in Siege, like on the desk, like that people are recognized often. But I feel like that's one of those things that's going to come with more and more people retiring from competitive play and then switching over to the desk. Yeah, we've had significant issues trying to find like ex-player analysts um, and obviously no slouch to the non-player analysts that we have right now. You know, EU's got a litany of them that they just announced on their um, for their talent. But I mean, it is kind of surprising that we are five years in and really with the exception of kicks, we haven't had any significant players quit to, to move into casting or desk roles, you know, and I mean, I guess a lot of a lot of esports don't really have that, but I am a little surprised. You know, there was a, you look at a league like Overwatch League and they had a number of people retire and a lot of them really could have gone onto the desk and they did, you know, Reinforce went onto the desk, Custa went onto the desk, Jake is now casting. So it's, you know, these are, those are three names right there that used to compete that are no longer doing that. I'm, I'm surprised with how many people don't see that as a viable career because not to call out anybody in particular, but there are people who haven't consistently been in pro league for two years or longer who are trying to grind out challenger league. They're not necessarily getting picked up on, on, you know, pro teams. They're not qualifying on their own. And it just, it, it strikes me as odd 
I get that you want to compete, but it strikes me as odd that you wouldn't think to yourself like, okay, the last two years I've spent on a team making next to no money. You're not streaming. You don't really have a brand. You don't really have a profile. You might not even have an org when really there's so many opportunities for former players to get involved on the desk. It does. It does kind of strike me as odd. Um, yeah, definitely. I feel like at least in terms of pro players retiring, I feel like Siege is like now, like within the last years, like really taken off in terms of like the salaries people are getting and like, you know, we're getting team houses, all that jazz. Like everyone kind of wants to try to be a part of that and like get in because it's like now is like the, the highest point in like hype in terms of like Siege comps. So I feel like that's like the main reason players aren't stepping down. But I agree with you. Like I feel like some people have to be realistic. Like if you have been trying to make pro league for two years and like, you know, you're in and out of CL, whatever the case may be, like, I mean, you can look into it. Like, maybe casting is a viable option for you. I mean, a lot of people in the chat were saying Zeronic, and it's like, I do consider Zeronic that, but I see him more as a streamer. You know, like, when I, you know, in defense of Zeronic, I, you know, I think he's a great analyst, and I'm glad to see him be involved in the EU League, but I don't consider him on that same level, because even though he's coming to events, he hasn't really worked that much outside of it, and I think his primary focus is streaming. Right. It's streaming and content creation, which is fine, but it's to me, it's like if you look at somebody like me or you look at somebody like kicks, the first thing you're going to think of is like commentators, casters. When I look at somebody like Zeronic, the first thing I think is streamer. You know, I, I didn't and I don't want people thinking like I'm throwing shade at Zeronic. I'm not. I'm just saying like to me, he is a caster slash commentator, like second or even third to like content creator and streamer. And that was the point I was making is this that there's more people who could have very easily just embrace this role um i have a question now if that's okay and this this obviously touches on um a former team of yours a lot of people asking about rogue um rumors that there was going to be a massive shakeup in na and rogue was kind of the epicenter uh i can't remember who it was somebody on the team touched on how the team was going to basically split up after one of the six invitationals i can't remember who, which player it was it might have been ranger it might have been one of the players uh they alluded to it at some point but basically, there's too many people that are saying, like, can you talk about Rogue? Can you talk about the shuffles? What happened? The fall from grace, etc. Um, I mean, I'm not going to like I could probably spend like hours talking about this. But for the most part, like I, I think Rogue was just one of those things where it's kind of just ran its course. We all played together for so long and we've tried so many different formulas toward the end where it's just like nothing was working. And it was just it was just time. It, I feel like it was just that time for Rogue to split like there really isn't much I can like go into detail without just sitting here for like four hours, five hours talking about it. But yeah, like yeah. it wasn't really even so much like ideas were clashing. It just like stuff just wasn't working right. Like it, it, there's really nothing else to it. We we were having issues like we tried making roster changes that maybe didn't go through. So we were kind of just stuck trying to figure stuff out with the same roster over and over. And eventually we just ended up getting relegated. And I, I feel like the thing with Rogue that's like interesting to me is like when you look at like people like that got relegated in the past, like there's been like pretty like, you know, like maybe people on that team who weren't so great individually, whatever. But I feel like everyone on a road was like very, very good. But just together, we just stopped clicking as a unit. And that kind of just shows because everyone in on rogue pretty much got onto a team right away in pro league. So and I feel like everyone on rogue is going to thrive. Like, I, I feel like part of the reason we struggled was online best of ones. Like it was just like a mental thing for us. We just could not get past it. I feel like we won two events with that roster while continuing to struggle with all online best of ones. And it was just one of those things we couldn't get past. And I feel like it was just one of those things where we just wore it out over and over trying to find different solutions and nothing was working. And I think it, it was just, it was just time. Like the, there was really nothing else that we could have done. I feel like. 
Anything to yeah, add? I, Troy? I, I agree with that and I can relate to it. Like it's, it's just how it goes sometimes. Like, I, I mean, it was what happened on EG. We felt time had ran its course and basically that if we were to continue, basically a drastic change would have to be made because again, it wasn't that anyone on the team was bad. Like no one on that team was bad when we were on the team. It was just the team wasn't working and you don't necessarily know what the issue is with that. You don't know what the cause is of that. You don't know if it's a lack of ideas. You don't know if it someone's bringing bad ideas. You don't know if someone's attitude's bad always. Like it, it can always be. It's like usually a huge combination of things, and that's why you need like a drastic change and kind of a reset. And also, like a big reason you need a reset is because when you're going through all these problems with the same five guys and you're not solving these problems, the motivation gets fucking killed, and like just the the overall mood of the team gets killed. Just because you're all there the whole time. You all know you have all these problems, and you all know you're not fixing them. So yeah. just, like it, it literally kills the vibe of the whole team, and you need that fresh start where where you're constantly seeing the improvement. Because that's, that's when people's energy gets gets up, right? When you're seeing improvement day to day, like that's when people are feeling good. That's when people are are, are vibing, basically. Like that's That's when the chemistry is at its best. Obviously you show whether or not you're like a great team if you get through those times where like you have big issues and and then the mood of the team starts to dip because you're not solving them at first and then you kind of come together and figure it out that's that's where great teams kind of show but that doesn't always happen like sometimes you don't find the solution that's just that's life right um so kind of need a restart or a reset basically and i mean i completely understand that i have to go to the bathroom bro so i'll be right back okay no worries um next question for you comes from danimal uh and he says a lot of pros can be seen as dry in interviews as a pro that is considered to be more entertaining do you feel like the onus is on you to set an example to encourage others to break out of their shells a little bit um i, I mean at the end of the day, people are just who they are. Like, I, I would rather have someone if like if someone just like a dry person who's going to give generic answers and that's just the kind of person they are. I don't want them to try to fake like what kind of person they are just for interviews. You know what I mean? I feel like people just need to be themselves and just kind of just go with the flow. At the end, like in life, you're going to meet people who are like more out of their shell, entertaining, like Seth, for example, right? Like everyone like saw how he was on the show. But I mean, at the end of the day, like sometimes they're going to have people who, eh, you know, just going to give a normal answer like, oh, yeah, they were a great team. Best of luck to them in their next match. And then that's all they're going to say. So I personally don't think that it's something that you can change. It's just kind of one of those things where it's like you just are how you are. Do you think with our scene in particular, though, that it's it's just that people don't know how to be themselves? Do you think that media training can fix that? Because, I mean, I've I've spent time at after parties, at events etc with plenty of people on teams who at first blush wouldn't strike me as being somebody who's either charismatic or entertaining on camera but then when they kind of let their hair down they absolutely are do you think that it's just something where teams should be pushing people to possibly get into you know being on camera and being comfortable do you think it's it's just a matter of them not being that type of person when they're on air um 
honestly, like, I think part of the reason is like a lot of these people are like young kids, right. Who like straight out of high school just went to full-time siege or like, trying to go full-time siege. Right. So they never really had like any like public speaking classes or like never, they don't stream like whatever they don't, they're not used to addressing large audiences. So I feel like they can be like, maybe just like, a little shy. They just want to give the generic answer. They don't want to get hated on on Reddit, whatever it may be. So I feel like that plays into it. So I guess like, especially with the NA league and everyone living in Vegas now, I apologize for my mic, by the way, I see it spiking like randomly. It's but, just, um, I think it's just Skype. It, oh, is it, it happens. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, I'm not even like changing my levels and it's just being weird. But I, I feel like with, now with the, all the NA teams being in Vegas and things like that, there's a lot better chances for content, especially like for individual people. Cause like, you know, everyone's going to be on site, whatever it may be to like actually like grow people's, media persona i guess and get them more out more like vocal and giving more like vibrant answers yeah i think one of the people that really flies under the radar in, in almost every sense in rainbow six is mint you know i watched some of his the some of the content they did with him uh on the charity stream that dark zero put on uh ominous versus Flipside the rematch and then i you know i watched him on the u.s division draw show as well and he's got just like this, this really down to earth, funny charm that I think plays really well on the camera. And I don't know if it's just, he's not particularly interested in being on it, but I can absolutely see him being one of the best people in terms of on-air personality. And, and he's also somebody who, if he ever stops being a competitor, is somebody who I would be immediately messaging saying, hey, you should try being a caster. You should try being an analyst. Kev, you're in that same boat. You know, Troy, you're in that same boat. So it's just, I, I, I'm always curious the thought behind it. And I mean, you get to see these players in matches. You get to see what they're like behind the scenes. They likely let their guard down more for you than they do for me. So getting, getting your thoughts on that, I, I think is, uh, is it, is an interesting perspective that isn't often discussed. I, I have some thoughts on that as well. And I think that I, Mint's a good example, but in general, I think part, part of it is the way our kind of league and system of content, I guess, is structured. Like, you could literally just see it from that draft show, right? It was instantly, like, more personality was shown. And I think one of the big things is, like, the timing of the content, because with a lot of the players, the only time they get the camera time, right, is after a match. And after a match, like, even Fabian is humble after a match, usually. Sometimes he's not, right? Obviously, he gives good post-match interviews regardless because um, he has a lot of personality. But, like, a lot of players are just naturally more humble after a match. And I think showing, like, teams picking teams and then, like, throwing in a little shit talk here and there, like, that's that happens before a match, right? And, then you, like, no one's going to lose a match and be like, oh, those guys fucking suck. Like, no, like you just lost the match. No one's going to say that. And if you say that, you look like a fucking idiot, right? Um, so it's just not going to happen. Uh, I, I do think that coming to Vegas, I think there will be more of that, like, content kind of separated from matches, which is important. Like, I don't think it should always be centered around a post-game interview or a pre-game one or whatever just entirely separate so you can see the person on and like that's why you can see it with mint on dz when they do like that kind of side content and i do think i think mint is just the kind of guy like he, he he's just a competitor like he's just there to to be on his team and try to win and i mean i can i can entirely respect that i'm like i am like that too i do i do the interviews mostly because a lot of my my teammates never like doing them it's not like i'm always like 
no, I got to do the interview. I've just, on EG, none of my teammates wanted to do an interview, so I was like, okay, I'll do it. If they wanted to do it, they could take it. If they were requested to do it, they took it. Um, same goes on SSG. If no one wants to do the interview, then I'll take it. If not, then go ahead, right? Um, but, like, I'm, I'm the same way where, like, at the end of the day, I just, I just want to win. I also do think, though, that you can use that shit talk or interview stuff. You can use that to get under people's skin and get in their heads. And Fabian's an example of that. And, like, I've even done it because I, I, I can literally see it. Like, there's players, like, you can just say some shit to them and they'll, they literally crumble. Or, like, they, they just start, they get frustrated or they tilt or whatever. And, like, it's literally just from, like, typing something in chat or from teabagging their body or saying something stupid before a match. Like, you can do that. Um, I think I think people might be getting thicker skin. And I do think that applies to why people don't say things as well. Because they don't want to be perceived as, like, rude or they don't want people, like, reacting poorly to them. Because, I mean, that's that's being human. Um, but I, I think you kind of have to accept the fact that like not everything you, you do needs to be taken seriously. And if people are going to take your jokes seriously, like then so be it. That's how it's going to be on the internet. Like just whatever. Fuck that guy. Like he, he took your joke seriously and, and won't give it up. Like, okay, whatever, move on. Um, but like, I, I know like Kev, like Kev's the same way where it's like, we tell a joke, like we're just trying to be funny. Like that, that's really it. Like there might be, there might be a bit more to it, but like, I'm not going to tell a joke and like like shit talk another team because like I hate that team's guts. Like DZ, DZ's a team I take jabs at all the time, but like it's not it's not because I think they're fucking horrible or I, I don't like them. I actually I genuinely think like I like a lot of the guys on the team and I do think they're one of the best teams. But I do think there's a lot to kind of poke at and I do think that they're a team that in the past has gotten affected by it. Maybe they won't get affected by it in the future, but I do think they do get affected by it. Um, and I think there's other teams that are the same way, but, uh, I think overall, uh, I think overall people just kind of just laugh things off. I don't know. I, I, I grew in that sense as well, though. I used to be a lot more serious and not joke as much, but I think you kind of just learn to accept the fact that like, you can just laugh things off. I don't know. I think there's, I think there's pros and cons to being on a land setting. Um, and Troy, if you do have a one last question, uh, for Kev. Uh, feel free to, to scroll through it just as I give my thoughts on this. Um, I think there's a there's a couple things that come from a land setting, and I think that having everybody around and having teams be close to each other is going to work to make content better because you'll have instant access to people. You know, you can do funny, goofy stuff. I mean, look at look at your team, for example, Kev. Like the videos of you guys making goofy faces, like walking down the street together, you know, and and just Seth being Seth is. It shows you right there that just even having all of the players in close proximity means that the content will be better, period. You know, you can make it deliberately scuffed. You can make it look professional. You can make it really scripted. You can make it totally spontaneous. The only concern that I have about moving to LAN is everybody is going to be spending more time with each other. You know, you, Kev, you have like your friend group. Whenever, you know, whenever we go to events, you know, you'll see like you'll be hanging out with like Geo and like you know, Suzaku and all these guys that might be on different teams or might not even be on a team. And you have your friend groups. And my only concern is that people are going to be apprehensive about shit talking their friends. And I think people will just get to be better friends as they spend more time with each other. It will amplify the drama when it occurs because you will be face to face. But I don't know 
how organic a lot of it will be because at the end of the day, when the matches are over, you're going to be going out to the same bars with people. You're going to be going out to the same restaurants. You're going to be going to this, you know, the same backyard pool parties, you know, with splash Ugg and whomever, you know? So, um, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where I, I'm wary, but I'm also hopeful of, of what's going to come out. I mean, I, I think it also comes down to the individual. Like if the person gets offended, like Troy said, like some people got to learn to laugh it off. Some people just take it too serious. But I feel like in pro league for the most part, like people understand that, like, when you're talking shit in a match, that's just match day shit talk. Like, that's just how it is, like, in any sport. You know what I mean? Like, no one's taking it offensive. Like, when we used to play, when Rec had, like, Skies and Mark, and we played those guys at DreamHack, and we were sitting right across from each other, Slash used to open the curtain and scream at those guys. You know what I mean? Like, call them dog shit. And at the end of the day, we're still all friends. We all went to the after party at DreamHack once together. We all f flew back, and we're hanging out all week in Vegas the week after. Like, that's just how it is. Like, it, people just got to learn that if you're just, like, talking shit in game like whatever it's just for the most part it's just being a competitor it's not like you don't actually hate the person yeah and i don't mind inorganic you know beef either as long as it doesn't seem super fake and super staged and then and then it borders into like awkward and cringy but it's like you know i i shit talk casters all the time as a joke and i mean most people are in on it and it's like fabian shit talks me as a joke troy shit talks me as a joke all the time and it's like it to a lot of people, they honestly think it's real beef. It's not, but it, it's still, whether it's, whether it's real or not, it's still funny and it's still good content. So. Yes. Like the amount of times I've said some dumb shit to you on Twitter and I already know like exactly how you're going to swing back at me. Like I do it. I do it literally all the time on Twitter. I do it with my teammates too. Where like, yeah. I literally set them up. I'm like, roast my dumb ass. Like, please. Like yesterday I did one with, with Fultz, he actually didn't, he didn't entertain it because he knew, he knew I would love it too much. But like he, uh, someone tweeted something about like a ranked stack of Fultz was in it. And we played ranked yesterday and, um, we we're playing, uh, theme park. And he, he's like, I'm going to impact trick. We were playing throne. He's going to, I'm going to impact trick this round. Fucking I'm bringing impacts. He spawns up and he tried to put down barbed wire. So he threw the impact and he flipped away and threw it a wall. And I was like, I started making fun of him. Like you wasted a fucking impact. Right. So anyways, I tweeted that he costed me. Little do people know, literally the next round, I did the same thing. I literally went, I was like, I'm an impact trick. And then I spawned up and I went to put barbed wire down. And I, imp I didn't even flick away. I fucking threw it at my feet and did half my health. Literally the next round, right after I made fun of him for it. Like, it's, I don't, that, that's how people are. But I, I do the same thing with you. Yeah, like I literally set you up to, to roast my dumb ass. But I know it'll be hilarious. Like, I, I willingly know, like, you're you have a perfect opportunity to swing back at me and I know you see it because I know how you are. And like, you're the same way. Um, yeah. I don't, I know. And if people want to use me as the butt of a joke, go ahead. How many times does Kev do some tweet something and I'll respond, not even rudely. I'll just respond to Kev nicely or I'll tweet something and Kev will respond being like something about his nuts on my chin or how, or how, <laughs> or how brave I am. Uh, thank like, you Parker. you're so brave we used to have like a running joke we used to have a running joke on rogue where it's like parker would just tweet out like the most like non-controversial things ever like parker yeah. would tweet out murder is wrong and be like yo thank you parker like that might be the greatest <laughs> thing I've done my whole career. like thank you and so like that's like the joke we had i mean parker's like he knows it's just like we're just joking with him you know what i mean? but he knows how to i take think it's outlandishly funny that's how to take a joke that's just how it is parker's like women should be allowed to vote like wow thank you parker <laughs> Slash, I remember, I remember one time we were at like the six invitational, uh, after party or no, it was the, it was the hotel bar and 
he, we discovered he wasn't following me on Twitter. And apparently at that point I'd been involved in like seven months. He, he just never followed me. So he was like, I see all your tweets all the time. He goes, and he follows me and he goes, great. Now I can see you, you post things like, I believe people deserve rights. And I was like, great. Thank you. Thank you, Slash. I appreciate that. So, but no, and I think that kind of thing is good. You know, like the Canadian one at one point, it was the most upvoted post on the subreddit was when I was like, I made some random thing, like thankful for Thanksgiving post. And Troy was like, I'm thankful for the mute button when you're casting. And I just responded with, I'm thankful that second place exists. So at least you can finish somewhere. You know, and, and it was it was at one period of time, like the most upvoted post on the on the subreddit. And it's like that kind of shit is funny. It doesn't matter if it's rude or real. It's good content. And I think that's where media training uh, comes in. But anyway, yeah. uh, last question, Troy, just because we have such a short period of time. Yes, I got one. Um, let me find where it is again. OK, uh, this guy asked, and I think this is an important question to answer because I think it's good for anyone starting out in uh, the competitive scene. Uh, to kind of understand this, I suppose. But uh, I have teammates who are my IRL friends. I want to play competitively, but they're a little slow to learn. Would it be best for me to find new teammates? What do you think of that, Kev? So at the end of the day, if you're trying to be a pro league level player, right, that's your end goal. It's a, it's a business. So you always have to choose the best decision that's going to impact your career in a positive way. I've seen a video from Scump, funny enough, like, don't even say it, Parker. But, like, so I've, I've seen a video that Scump made where he was talking about, like, that he always joined a better team to further his career. And I, I, I 100% agree with that. I'm not talking about, like, tier three teams team hopping and making roster changes every week. I'm talking about if you're a team who's been together for, like, a couple months – and you're stagnant, your team's not getting better, you can't get out of tier three, you can't make that jump to CL, and a CL team offers you a spot, or like a team you think might make CL offers you a spot, and they're just flat out better than your team, you should always take that offer to progress your career. There, there, there's no like, at the end of the day, like if you don't wanna hurt your friend's feelings, like whatever, if they're really your friends, they'll want you to make that jump for you to take that opportunity to try to become a pro league player, try to become a CL level player. And it's it's your your own work that you put in that when you notice your progress and when you're like, wow, like, I don't know, I just feel like the rest of my team is really like lacking behind and I feel like we're really not progressing as a unit where you need to make that jump to a different team because if you're the best player on the, that team and, and you guys aren't getting better, you probably need to find a new team. You need to find new people to learn from. You need to find new people to get ideas from. You need to like switch up something that you're doing to progress yourself to that next step. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think that's something like people kind of need to understand. I think a lot of people realize it kind of, but it's something that's hard to do. Right. And I mean, I'm telling it, hey, fuck, it is hard to do. Cause like I've, I've had to cut friends before. Like I've been, I've been, I've always been the guy that's like, that has the conversation that like basically fires the guy. Right. And I mean, that's definitely not fun, especially when you're like, you're young and you don't, it's not something you're used to doing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it sucks, but it is what it is. And like Kev said, if they are your friends, they're going to want to see you succeed. And I think at least over time, they will, see, like, they will see that you made the right decision. Or if you made the wrong decision, 
they won't see that, but hopefully you will see that you made re- the wrong decision and kind of make amends and say, hey, I fucked up. That was that was a stupid decision. I mean, because sometimes you might think you're making the right decision, but you're not. Yeah, it's not I'm, always the case. But you you have to be willing to yeah kind of put put your your career first. You have to if you want to be the best, you have to be, be willing to do that. It, it there's no there's no kind of getting around it. Like you can you can be friends with your teammates, right? There's no saying that you can't be friends with your teammates. Like it doesn't have to be strictly business all the time. You can be friends, you can have fun, like all that. But when it comes down to it, when when your team is having problems and like something needs to be done, or if you did get a better opportunity and something needs to be done, like you can't hesitate, basically. Like you uh, don't want to yeah. yeah, you don't want to like look back and have any regrets, you know what I mean? Like a- after Raleigh, for example, like when like the decline of rogue kind of started. I'm pretty sure everyone on Rogue had like offers from other teams that they wish they could have went back and taken, right? Like, it, it, at the end of the day, it worked out. We're all on Pro League teams now. But like, if one of us didn't and we were looked back and we're like, oh, wow, like maybe I should have taken that offer. Like, for example, like after Raleigh, like, I, I don't think TSM would mind if I said this, but TSM offered me a spot. Looking back on it now, like, I, I should have taken it, right? But, and it's just one of those decisions that like I kind of regret not taking. But at, at the time, I was, like I feel like everyone on Rogue had offers from other teams that they could have taken. Like Slash had offers, Tyler had offers, Shuttle very obviously all had offers to join other teams because like Rogue was like, in that period where we started struggling, and they just didn't take it. And I'm sure if they weren't like in successful spots now, because everyone's on a team, so it's like kind of canceled out, whatever. But if they weren't, they would be like, "Wow, I really should have taken that offer back in the day." And you don't want to go back and regret something like that when you know you had an opportunity to progress your career further and you didn't take it. Yeah, uh, the the one thing that I, I really have to give a lot of praise to is uh, somebody that pops to mind is Laxing. You know, Laxing got benched from Cloud9 and then it got picked right back up. You know, how many people could seriously get benched and then not just say, fuck you, when they're like, hey, we made a mistake, we want you back, you know? And Laxing had a series of tweets where he basically just said, you know, it's a job, I know that. I know it's a job, no hard feelings. They thought that there was better opportunities. I can't fault them. I'm confident enough in my own ability that I think I will land on a team. You know, it, it's it's just at the end of the day, it's just a it's it's just business. And then, you know, I'm not going to name any names because I know people are going to try to extrapolate from what I say. But there's probably half a dozen people that jump to mind that they got dropped and they just become bitter, angry children. And they basically take their toys and they leave the sandbox and they don't they don't want to talk to those players anymore. They don't want to play with them anymore. They don't they won't even speak to them like there's no way. And there's just so much bad blood over, you know, being wronged. But it, it it's it's it is business. And I hate to say it. And it's it kind of ties into the topic, which is do you even create a team with your friends? Because if you create a team with your friends, what's more important, winning or friendship? You know, Shate got picked up by by the Penta roster off of Ents. Why was he playing on Ents? Well, they were the only Finnish team in town, but they were all friends and they had a great time and they were very laid back and they were known and beloved for being like a goofy, talented, but like affable squad that wasn't grinding it out to be the best in the world. He goes to Penta and after he leaves the team, one of the first things he says publicly is, you know, they the our attitudes just didn't match up. You know, for me, it wasn't fun anymore. And that old saying, like, don't go into business with your friends perfectly applies. If you want to get to the top, you have to realize that self-preservation is key. Sometimes you are the weak link and sometimes you need to tell people they are. 
And that means hurting feelings. And it's tough, but you have to hope that people have the maturity to see past it and realize that you can still remain friends while realizing that there are better opportunities for maybe just one of you or maybe both of you. Yeah, I mean, definitely back on Rogue, I feel like people like had their differences in game, but at a game like Slash Tyler versus Shuttle, I'm still like really good. Like I'm like great. Like those guys are some of my best friends, right? Like we were on a team for like two years almost. Like I'm still like really good friends with them. I have no issues with them. So it just like comes down to it, right? Like we knew we had like issues in game and I think everyone acknowledged those issues. But at the end of the day, right outside the game, we're still friends. No one takes it personal. Nobody is like holding grudges. Like you, you, you kind of got to learn how to like separate business and personal in this world. I, uh, well, I mean, I think that's it. Last word, Troy, before we, before we send off. Uh-huh. Don't think I don't think I have anything else to add. Uh, just thanks for coming on Kev. And, uh, yeah i really enjoyed the podcast i think we had some good discussions i think there was a lot of insight into it i think thank you for having it was me. also it was, a, it was a, another good good kind of vibe kind of like the fabian one obviously a bit different but uh a lot of insight and a different another different perspective on the game which i think is nice for a lot of people to hear uh so yeah thanks for coming on thanks for sharing with us and everything <laughs> thanks for having me it was a pleasure yeah i really appreciate it kev um i think that you know i've I've spoken quite a lot and I know that uh, all three of us have probably talked about this on our personal streams at some point about how esports in general lacks personalities, but Rainbow Six being that it's still relatively new, that players aren't media trained, that there isn't a lot of content that goes around, very limited shoulder content and the orgs aren't exactly the most hands-on. There isn't really any big group of personalities in our scene and I know that you certainly are one of the few, and I really appreciate I appreciate your social media. I appreciate your streams. I appreciate your your candor and interviews and and your your long history competing on both Xbox and PC. So thank you for thank you for coming on. And with that said, that's the end of the episode. Um, for those of you that watched it live, much appreciated for all of you who joined in. Uh, for those of you in Twitch, there is exclamation mark six on six. You can go ahead and type that. It connects you to our Discord. For those that are watching it on YouTube. Down below in the comments, you're going to have all the socials for myself and Troy. And most importantly, easily do us a favor and give him a follow on Twitch and on Twitter as well in the Twitch chat. In just a moment, we're going to be spamming the YouTube link because within 24 hours, the video should be up on YouTube, Spotify and Apple podcasts. We hope you enjoyed it. If all goes according to plan, our guest next week is going to flip the script quite literally and shake things up, turn it upside down, so to speak. We'll be announcing our next guest in just a couple days. But thank you very much. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks for stopping by. And we'll uh, we'll see you next week for some more Six on Six. Later, guys. Later.